boom, somebody just inserted an account. Deal with that. Well, let's talk about that, John. What? This, you know, the 85th chapter in this book called, what the <laughs> hell is John doing? You come in and your, your tongue's all swollen again. And sometimes it's your tongue, sometimes it's your lip. It'll be all swollen. You got hives on your arm. And you say it's from stress. It's, it's from telling my lies. Yeah. That's what happens when you lie. You get hives. Surprise your nose isn't sticking out like Pinocchio. No, my nose is big. <laughs> I've always been self-conscious about my nose. I always mm. feel like it's like a huge feature on is my this, face. Is this what we're going to do on this podcast now? We're going to talk about all of our <laughs> insecurities. And no. We do have a couch. Would you like to sit on my couch, John? And- I, do get, I do get hives from stress, though. I, I, I went to a doctor one time because I, I ended up with a stress hive in a not-so-pleasant place. And I freaked out. And I went to the doctor. And she kind of laughed at me. Of course, it was a f- female. Of course. <laughs> so she laughed at me and, and said, there's, there's really nothing you can do about them. It, there's, you can't take like antihistamine or anything because it's not that type of reaction. It's just something that happens when you're stressed. What about like a steroid or put hydrocortisone? I, th- I, th- yeah. I think you can, but it's, it'll go away. Yeah. Once you calm down and relax and your system has a chance to clear itself, it'll go away. But the, the sad part is, I don't know if sad or funny, she used the analogy of, I usually see it with the, Women who are planning their weddings. I believe that. So apparently I was acting like a neurotic bride, but But anyway, you come in here and you know, you've got these hives and your your reactions in your mouth and everything from being stressed and you know, you were saying I was like, Well, what do you want me to say? You know, like I feel like how long have I been lecturing you? I'm actually you have got to be so sick of me lecturing you because I'm sick of lecturing you. I'm sick of like telling you I like you lecturing me. I I think you do. I enjoy it. I think you do. I mean, that's kind of the conclusion I'm coming to here. Maybe, maybe you're not giving me enough attention, and I need the I mean, I whether to, it's positive or negative. I want attention. I used to give you the lecture, like, dude, as your friend, like, I don't want you to die, so, or, or you know, have a heart attack or something. So, I like, have, take I it have, easy, man. Get get some sleep. I have responsibilities. I have to get stuff. No, done. No, that's not true. You don't have to do what you're doing. That is what I will call. Bit bit. There's a deadline. It has to get done. No, you don't have to agree to deadlines that are extremely bad for your health. No, it's true. It's very true. I know. I got to solve it. And you can get plenty. You you can have plenty of work to do and you can make whatever, you know, a normal amount of money you need to make without having to do that. I know. It's not, it's not a, if it puts you six feet under, it's not worth it. No, I know. I know. It's not even a money thing at this point. It's just, just, there's a, there's a deadline. There's an obligation. And I so, feel, I okay. feel like I have to meet it. Like, so you like, don't, you don't want to be working this way. You're not planning to. It's just, you always end up in the situation. Kind of. And is that just because of, because I know for me, when I end up in that situation, I can look back and if I'm being honest with myself, I usually could have prevented that. I could have communicated something early or I could have been, I could have been more, um, you know, just assertive about, well, Hey guys, this, that's not, my problem that someone else delayed and I can't, I'm just not going to be able to, now that that shifted this out, I don't have enough time to meet that original deadline because of things that are out of my control and I'm not going to kill myself to try to do it. That's a very fair thing to do, to say. Yeah, I, I think... I mean, why does, it always seems like it falls on people like us to, to make up for, in, for the project. Well, a lot of it... Lot, well, so first of all, it happens because it's a last minute thing and... Uh, we, we who, do, who, last minute for who? Client waited to the last minute to do something about their business problem? 
No, uh, well, it, uh, I don't know how to describe it, but let's just say that changes happened towards the end of it that, that we just had to deal with. And we did, we did kind of push back and try to level set and say, this is what we're willing to deliver. And this is what we think we can deliver. However, those things that I said, I think I could deliver ended up being much more complex than I anticipated because it was a data model that I had not worked with and it wasn't one We're software developers, right? So it all... We're always under, we always underestimate. We always end up hitting, we're, we're the, we're the, you know, it's funny in a positive way. We're kind of like optimists. We look at that and we think, oh, I can do that in 20 hours. That's not that big of a deal. Yeah. And you, and you hit one thing after another that you didn't expect or, or, uh, you know, there's a system that, that you don't have any control over that you're dependent on that's slow or not working or doesn't work the way it's supposed to. I can get, actually, I wanted to tell a story of my file upload story that I don't think I, did I, even, I didn't get to that last time, did I? No. Yeah. So I should tell that. And and so again, it's not our fault. It's just that we, but that's that's why I'm so careful now. Well, so on, I, I'm it's almost not my fault, but now it's now it's my fault. It's it's your it's okay. What is your fault is thinking that it's your job and and you know your responsibility to make up for project time that was lost due to no fault of your own. Well. It's like, well, yeah, yeah, John, we're coming to you with 40 hours of work and we really, we got to have it done in 20 hours. And you say, okay, all right, I'll do no, it. No, it, it's, 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 we look at it and I go, yeah, I think that's 20 hours and I go to do it and. But you know, you just said, I think it's 24, I think it's 20 hours. Yeah. I don't know it is. I don't know for sure it is. And you know, I mean, I, I don't know. I, the things I'm today, like nowadays, I will hardly, I mean, I, I very rarely will even give estimates. I'm so, and if I do give estimates, I mean, they are so shrouded in asterisks and disclaimers <laughs> because there is there are things that people haven't told you. There's things that the business doesn't even know yet that they're going to find out as a part of building something. And that was there's things technology wise that that I don't know yet, or that I'm gonna I'm gonna get stuck on, or have to find some work around. You know, Salesforce might be running slow. It might take me three days to get my sandbox. I mean, who knows, right? There's just so many things that you can't account for. It's not your fault. Well, I know that, but I mean, at the same time, I, I committed to a deadline and I was... No, you pers- didn't. You said, I think it's 20 hours. Well, okay, what, so I, you, you are committing to things that you have no business committing to. Well, in my head, I, I, I go, I committed to that. I need to get it, I need to get it there because I said I would get it done. And that's what well, I I'm do. Well, I'm just saying, if you keep doing that, you're going to cause yourself health problems, to say the least. Take a vacation is what I'm going to do. Yeah, but those ne- never end up working out for you vacations <laughs> yeah you they, you know they don't give you the refresh it's like and you and we've talked about this you come back from vacation and and i I'm, i know i'm found, i know it sounds like i'm you know i'm getting all over you i mean i'm i'm i have the same i have the same tendencies the same problems i think i i think i probably don't take as much of that on myself as you do though but the te- i mean i but i know i can identify with exactly what well, you're yeah i mean i've no need to be up all night working on something it, it's trying happened to, trying to get to it and, and, and i'm not saying like you never have to work at night or anything like that or you never have to work on a weekend i'm just saying when it's week after week after week after week where you're not getting enough sleep you're getting sick over and over you have hives you know you you're you've got parts on your body swelling up that shouldn't be swelling up <laughs> at least not in public <laughs> <laughs> um, you know that's when it's just okay there's a there's a pattern here that's just not healthy and you know I, I don't know what it, I don't know what damage is doing but it's can't it, it I mean there's there's what there's a damage we can see I mean the fact that you're yeah. just tired all the time and you know you're no, you don't feel well well I'm due for a nap yeah <laughs> but no the thing when you come back from vacation you're like man I'm gonna I'm not gonna let myself you know you, you've kind of you go on vacation you clear the slate right you're like 
you yeah. set up so that no one has any expectations of you. And when you come back, you're starting from you're starting fresh, and you're like, right. "Damn it, I'm going to stick to a good policy. I'm going to be honest and upfront with people. Um, I'm not going to overpromise. I'm going to be. I'm going. I'm not going to commit to things that I don't fully understand and know exactly for sure how long it's going to take. And then somehow or another, we end up back in this. Yeah. I guess old habits die hard. So because like, that is not our job to do that. Yeah, yeah. And you know what? The business is going to be just fine. That's the ninety-eight uh, percent of the time, and you're just you're you're burning the you know you're burning the candle at both ends just so that someone f- feels better about something. Yeah. Well, I, I I don't know what to say. I can't argue. Like I said, I mean, this is just this is um, I don't know. It's not. It's not. It's not about you. Although you were the you were our um, what's it called our, Mac- our MacGuffin to get this conversation started. <laughs> uh, you know what that is? No. <laughs> so yeah, I think it's a it's a movie um, or like a plot or or screenwriting uh, technique. Mm. I think uh, Hitchcock actually uh, is named after one of his characters. Like that was named MacGuffin. Look it up if you're interested. I'm sure it's in the book of knowledge. You mean Wikipedia? Yep. Um, let's do a, some follow up. I know we. I know what we should probably re- revisit the flow thing again. Yep. Just because. So okay. So last week was it last week? Yeah. I mentioned how I'd heard uh, that flow was going to be. I guess re- reduced investments in flow. I'm not sure exactly how I worded it. I think you might have like. Caused a panic because I think you almost, I think at one point you used the words would be going away. Well, I, but I, I don't think you meant it as going away. I think you meant it in the terms of how it exists today would go away. Yeah, I, I, I'm not even sure what I, what I said. But anyway, um, and I, I think I misattributed also where I'd heard that it, I think it was, it was not on the, um, whatever podcast I thought it was. I think it was on the Wizard cast hmm. um, where I'd heard that. I try to listen to these other podcasts sometimes. You're cheating on the good day, sir. Aren't yep. You? <clears throat> but uh, no, um, Peter. Uh, so we kind of kind of sparked a discussion, and <clears throat> Peter Chittam uh, went and tracked down Shauna Wolverton, I guess, and asked her, "Hey, what's going on with this?" You know, and so she clarified, and so Peter said uh, he just had a chat with Shauna, and he says that the news of the demise of <laughs> Flow is premature. Um, what she did say was that the builder will change. I guess that's the part that's built in Flash. Right. And yeah, so they plan to go away from the builder made in Flash. Again, I guess, you know, they're probably building it in some kind of HTML-ish, HTML5 or Lightning. It'll be, you know what? It's going to be Flow Lightning. Yeah. Or Lightning Flow. Oh. I don't know. And then, and then there are some features... Um, a flow that are not really being used, whatever really being used means, or have very low adoption, and support for those features may go away in the future. Hmm. So interpret that as you as you may. Well, no, don't interpret that. Well, you have to interpret it somehow. So what does support for a feature mean? Does that mean that they won't help you with it or that it's not going to be there? I, I don't know. It depends on how they do the transition. It could be this is version one and to get on version two you have to this is what you get yeah 
I don't know. I mean, again, it's it's all premature. I mean, these are just these are just talking things. These are just talking points or or rumors or whatever you want to call it. I mean, there's nothing definitive out saying well, this, this is, is from, what's going to happen. This is from the horse's mouth. Well, I know. I mean, <laughs> I I know who it came from. I'm just saying <clears throat> it's not de- def it's not definitive yet. It's there, there's nothing tangible for us to grasp just yet to figure out or to even understand what is going to be available, what is going to change, and how it's going to change and what shape that's going to take, because I'm sure they're still figuring that out. Yeah, maybe the details aren't definitive, but, you know, it sounds like there's, it's fairly certain. The pain certain point that- is known. The pain point of, of the, the existing flow is known, that the UI is not great, and it could be replaced with something better. What about, so, th- it's just the builder that's in Flash? The actual runner is not Flash, I guess? I have no idea. I doubt it. I, I'm sure that's all server-side. It has to be. You've done flows before? Yeah. I don't think I've ever done a flow. I don't like doing them. Yeah. Uh, the the only concrete thing I have against them that I know of is that, again, from a metadata perspective, it's kind of a disaster. Mm. And so I try to I try to make sure that we don't use flows. Yeah, I mean, we, we talked about flows and process builder and I mean, not for, only the metadata, again, but even just the, the I guess, what, what, what do you call the data that you configure? That, is that considered metadata as well? Give me an example. The data that you, you the way you configure it in that data Oh, I I don't know. I don't know if that's part of the metadata in it or not. Well, I guess it is. It has to be. Otherwise, it may be, how do you it deploy may be, it? So, it may so be that data. data, I mean, that yeah. data um, doesn't follow the same rules as everything else, like, you know, changing field API names and all those kind of stuff and mm. getting warnings. So, anyways. Yeah. I feel like we had other follow-up. Anything? Um, you're going to bring something up. We just talked about it earlier. Oh, uh well, I brought up the ThoughtWorks thing that you were oh, talking yeah. about. Oh, yeah. It's not really follow-up. Wasn't there something else or no? Maybe not. I wanted to... Any other... Well, let's talk about um, a, a quick segment, another, another quick follow-up segment on the MacBook Pros. So I'm sure everyone's <laughs> dying to hear more about that. <laughs> especially, well, all the, we, especially all the Windows guys. Well, yeah, guys. we've got people that want us to to benchmark. and. Well, there's a, there's a couple of things that I didn't mention that I think a bear mentioning. One is the display. Did we talk about? I mean, this display is a lot brighter, and there's a lot more contrast. Like, um, I actually had to adjust some colors in my terminal. I had it. I had my terminal uh, uh, with a basically a t- solid black background with kind of grayish text, mm-hmm. um, not white text because that would be too too contrasty. But the black is so black on these monitors that I actually had to bring the text down some again because there was so much more contrast. I mean, the blacks are really black. That's like the, the, the thing I noticed the most. Another thing that was really noticeable, especially if you put these side by side with the old MacBook Pros, is the color temperature is very different. Mm-hmm. Mild Mac, is yours that way too? Mild MacBook Pro, it's very, uh, much cooler uh, color temperature. Yeah, I looked at it after you mentioned it and yeah, it was, it was different. Now, I've always thought that Macs had a cooler Color temperature, but I, what I've never, what I haven't known is, is that more accurate, or are these like I don't know, non max or whatever? Are those more accurate? Like, and it's a problem because like when you're you know designing UIs and things, I mean it's it's different enough that I feel like things look different on the Mac than they do on like a normal monitor. No, they do. In fact, I um, <clears throat> excuse me, I would I, would, I had an external monitor specifically. Not, not. I didn't have it specifically for designing, but I did like to verify my designs on that other monitor because I would get that difference. I would yep. understand, you know, a, a certain type of gray line 
might look a certain way on my screen and then maybe can be completely invisible on on, a, mm. on another monitor. That's like that's a gamma thing too. Yeah. And that that's a problem with, you know, another thing these monitors have is this wider gamma. What is it? Um is it sRGB or is it some an Apple proprietary? I don't know, but so know. it's a it's a wider gamma, so <laughs> what looks a certain way on this screen is going to look different on a normal screen. Yeah. And that that can be a problem. Yeah. I guess that's just why you should test on or just just use the lightning design system and, and for, yeah, to forget it about it. Just conform. <laughs> Um, but the other thing I made, uh, that discovery I made, which I'm, I'm glad I finally figured this out. So since we got these new MacBook Pros, I've, I've, you know, I've told my wife, I'm like, God, I, I think I need to get my eyes checked. And, you know, I'm almost 40 and like, you know, you start getting the, what's it, um, what's the thing where your eyes, yeah, it's when you're, it's, uh, there's a, um, pres, presbyopia, I think that's when basically it, it's not a, it's not a cornea thing, like which LASIK fixes and mm-hmm. his normal nearsightedness, far not farsightedness. It's kind of a cornea thing where where it's focusing the the light against your retina. It's a the lenses inside your eye that flex to change your fo- uh, focus point. Those just stop working very well, and so you can't. Well, they need to flex so you can see up close, so you can focus close, and they just stop. They just can't flex like they used to. <laughs> And there's pretty much nothing you can do about it. Uh, LASIK, LASIK won't fix it. So they can do some more flexing. I know, yeah. And they get pumped up. LASIK doesn't fix it. You know, glasses don't fix it. I mean, you can get, I guess, you know, bifocals or reading glasses that, that magnify, but and I guess they, they help you focus up close. But um, no, I just thought that, gosh, I, my eyes, it, this is just bad. I, mean, I was having vision problems and, and I was getting headaches. I, I feel like for a week, I just wasn't getting as much work done because I couldn't yeah. focus and concentrate. And, you know, I went into, so these screens, you know, they have um, different scaling modes, right? So there's, if you're in the native scaling mode, it's incredibly small because it's basically double pixels per inch as a, as a yeah. non-retina monitor, right? But there's what's the default scaling mode. And I've always, on my last MacBook Pro, I left it in the default scaling mode. That's kind of, you know, fonts and everything, um, window elements, Chrome and all that thing, they're all normal size. Mm-hmm. And, and I thought, well, I'm going to double check on this new one. I know I haven't changed the scaling mode, but I'm going to double check anyway. And I go in and I look, and sure enough, it's on the default scaling mode. I wish, you know, why does everything look, so, things just look smaller on this screen to me. Yeah. Am I going crazy or what? But then I compared side by side. I opened up that preference for the display, looked at the scaling modes, and I was, son of a gun. The default scaling mode on the new MacBook Pros is one notch smaller than the right. default scaling mode on the old MacBook Pros. And I did not expect that because they're running the exact same operating system. It's a, and I even looked at the screens exactly. It's a fifteen point four. They're both fifteen point four inches. They have the same exact resolution, whatever it is. I can't remember now. But the default scaling mode on the new MacBook Pro is a notch smaller. And then I was asking them like, well, and I pointed out to you, and you're like, oh yeah, that because you noticed it too, right? Yeah. And and I was like, well, what are you gonna you gonna put it on that middle one, or are you gonna leave it at the small default? And you're like, I think I'm gonna leave it at the small default. I've kind of gotten used to it, and. When I'm sitting at my desk, I notice I, I do like it on that on the smaller one. Mm-hmm. But when I'm at home, or if I'm just, if I've got the machine on my on my lap and the screen's kind of further away, then I that's when I feel like I have the need to bump up to a larger scaling mode. It's because you're blind. Because you're but blind I googled man. around, and no one I didn't couldn't find any. Surely someone would have made a blog post about that or something. I couldn't find anything. 
No, I did too. Because when I was when I was initially trying to figure out <clears throat> what the differences was, I was trying to look at all the specs and everything. I even dug up the technical specs on the on our on our original no, our previous version of the notebook, and nothing really pointed to to any kind of you know increased pixel density or anything like that. It was all matching. It was all the same. Um, so I couldn't even blame it on that. And then you know once we opened up those preferences and saw that, that's yeah. But I can't. Yeah, I can't believe anyone hasn't complained. Um, so I've had another problem. You've noted. You've said that your Chrome browser doesn't shut down sometimes or ever without yeah, it just, being forced quit. I haven't tried recently, but I was having that problem. Maybe another problem. And I think it's only in Chrome. That's where I've. I think that's where I've noticed it. The only place I've noticed it. And I'll get these weird triangles, like just a big triangle that'll cover the screen or or part of a screen or certain elements, mm. and that can kind of move the move the cursor around, and then it goes away. And I googled around and I found some bug reports, some some new and some a couple that were like four years old, for for Chrome, saying that that you know people are reporting this. And the thing you can do is you can actually go in and for Chrome and turn off like hardware acceleration, and that fixes it. But have you noticed this at all? No, but I mean if if I don't know if that'll stop and when that you locking issue when I'll you try. screenshot it, it it actually shows up in the screenshot too. I um, I'll have to see if I can still have. Still have some screenshots and show you. It's very weird. Yeah, I've got some I can show you. Anyway, um, so you were complaining about you know no more MagSafe, right? Which is a bummer. I mean, I have almost sent this machine flying off of a table onto the floor already because I tripped over the cord and it didn't come. Actually, you know what? It broke free from the from the brick. Oh, it did. Yep, and that's what saved my computer. But yeah, they have, there's someone, I think Belkin or someone makes a, it's a little stubby. That's a USB-C plug. Mm-hmm. And you just put that in. It's got a magnet on one side. And then it comes with a cord that's got a magnet on the other side. And that's, it's mm. going to, you know, generic MagSafe. So MagSafe for everyone. Yeah. I like that. I tell you, this this Thunderbolt 3 thing is the bee's knees, man. I mean, once once we're past the pain of, well, I mean, Still, right now it's painful. There's, there's a little really bit. hardly anything yeah, for it. It's a little painful. It's, well, it's it's magnified by the fact that, okay, so USB-C has, has support. USB yeah, there's 3, tons of USB-C stuff. But the Thunderbolt 3 stuff, specifically for the version that we have in this Mac, um, not everything's supporting on it yet. But you'll get a lot of disclaimers if you're searching around for stuff. Um, well, this is, a, this is a newer Thunderbolt 3. So, it, I mean, it's backwards compatible. No. Not that everything is. works. Well... I mean, that's with anything in the world. I mean, you're always going to have things that are minor compatibility issues and Windows stuff. Windows machines that that had this technology before, but this is a newer yeah. version of that. So you just got to, I don't know. I don't know what the particular issue is, but there are some issues apparently. Mm. I haven't had any, but it's, uh, yeah, overall, I mean, this Thunderbolt 3, it's, or it's, it's, it is our connector into the future, into the future and beyond. It is the future. Um, all right, so let's talk about my experience trying to post a file to Visual to Salesforce. I do it all the time. <laughs> so this is a little different. So this was a, uh, um, at least we got an external app. Although the user is authenticated, there's OAuth, and, or as some people like to say, Olaf. 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 <laughs> I like that. <laughs> Every time I say Olaf, like hugs. I think, oh yeah, exactly. I always think Olaf now, but... <clears throat> And what I needed to do was um, I implemented like a drag and drop 
file upload thing. So you can drag a file from your browser onto this drop target on the in the app. Mm-hmm. And then I needed to then send that file into Salesforce. And this is, you know, the way that this works with browsers forever is that it's basically a, um, it's a multi, it's a, a multi-part form data mm-hmm. post. And I thought, well, all I need is, um, I mean, I guess I can use a, a, a visual force page. I mean, that's how you, other than like implementing a REST API in Salesforce, that's how you catch HTTP requests is with a visual force page. It's the only way to do it, right? Right. So I created a Visual Force page and with a simple controller, and you and you were like, "Well, why don't you know? You can just uh, do uh, get parameters and just pull out whatever the field name was that had the file, right?" Mm-hmm. So I tried that. and I, I don't get anything. Like, there's I can post, and I actually was actually wondering because Visual Force is designed, I think, so that there's always an initial get. Like you always visit the Visual Force page first, which is a get. Mm-hmm. And then every time you do something, whether it's some action support thing or, a, or an action but command button, whatever they're called, that's a post. And it mm-hmm. posts like the, um, the view state, right? All that back to the server and they get a response. And it's all posts from then on out. But there's always that initial again. I thought, well, I, I wonder if Visual Force even supports just uh, starting with a post. And, and it does. It actually yeah. responded. It didn't throw an error or anything. But I couldn't get it to certain certain form values were there. You could I could just do the get parameters dot get and pass in a field name and, and I could get them. But it would not it wouldn't do it on the file field. And so I thought, well, maybe this is because you know the other thing I was concerned about was you know Visual Force has uh, CSRF tokens built into it, mm-hmm. and also there's the thing that generates view state, which I don't think you can generate your own view state at all because I think there's probably a it's probably PKI and there's you know yeah. yeah there's a private key that signs their view state that you don't have you can't I mean that's the point of it is it's um, it can be carried in the browser but it's tamper proof you can't right. if you touch anything with it it's invalid and it will you know it won't you won't be able to do anything after that right um so I and what else did I try with that I um I, I, yeah I tried I tried to like I think I tried to load first and then post but I mean I, I don't know. It, I can't. I can't generate the view state, and it, basically, the bottom line is like nothing. I tried. I couldn't get any. I think it's basically because I'm, I'm doing a get. It, it for whatever reason, Visual Force does not like parse through the the multi the multi part binary. Like if you you know, it won't even. It just doesn't even load it in. It doesn't make it accessible to you. So I thought, well, okay, I'll, I'll try a REST. So I created a, a REST endpoint in Apex, and you can. Um, like you can, I think you can post. Um, yeah, you can you can post in a REST. I mean, obviously REST supports. You know, it, it's all about the verbs: get and post and put and patch and support all those. Um, but I hit a I hit a block on that because when you post to REST, it it only accepts the content types JSON and XML. And my content type is multi-part form data. And I'm like, I, I thought, well, maybe I can find some way to hack the the browser to change the content type that the browser is sending to the server. But I was like, I thought, I thought, well, first of all, that pro- I'm probably not going to be able to get that to work right. And even if I did, that would be gross enough. I mean, I'm, here I'm using REST, which is supposed to embrace correct usage of HTTP, right? Mm-hmm. And here I am like, just crapping all over that. <laughs> <laughs> like, I'm not going to do that. So I just ended up writing a very simple Node Express 
literally it's like 20 lines mm-hmm. to accept this HTTP post. And there's some little NPM thing that parses out the, the multi-part data and gives you a file. And it just, I, and I, then I use the Salesforce REST API to post that file right in, back into Salesforce where I needed to go. And it, this thing accepts, and I'm sure someone will tell me how I'm doing security wrong here, but when the browser posts, and, it, and also this is also very easy to set up um, cores because I need cores, mm-hmm. right? Because this is an app running an external thing that I need to post over. So anyway, I, I think right. I, didn't, I didn't say, but this I'm hosting this on Heroku um, because people, Salesforce customers have heard of Heroku, so they, you know, it doesn't raise as many <laughs> questions. Plus Heroku is very easy to use, you know, and they only need like one dyno, so it's free. Right. And there's why, you know, why not, right? Um, but it's, you know, very, it's with this, you know, Express makes it just super easy to, you know, you want to do chorus, fine, just, you know, you can set it to re- respond with the the necessary headers, whether they the X allow or whatever, allow origin and mm-hmm. allow headers and all this stuff. And, and I needed to be able to send the authorization header. So I've, you know, the OAuth bearer token. Um, and I also needed to send, I couldn't find a way, use kind of the, with the, the some of the stuff I had to f- send extra fields in the form because I needed to send one more field, which was like the the ID of the thing I want to attach this file to, mm-hmm. like the parent ID, basically. But I couldn't I couldn't jam another form field in there, which is hard to explain. But I want to go into that. Just accept that I couldn't do it, and so I just passed it as a parameter. And so I, I created a actually a, a couple of parameters. Um, oh, um, I'm passing the Salesforce endpoint, so in, you know CS fifty two in this case, whatever. But I'm letting the app tell, I'm letting the web app, and it's, a, it's an Angular thing, tell the Heroku service what Salesforce endpoint to use. I think I am. And then, and then it's passing in the authorization header, it's passing the OAuth token. Mm-hmm. And so the Heroku service turns around and says, oh, okay, that's the endpoint you're going to send this to? Okay, I'll send it. And I'm just going to pass your authorization token right on. So it makes a request to Salesforce and passes the authorization token uses the endpoint, it pulls that parent ID out of the header I passed it in. And, you know, the, the downside is, I mean, if I would have known that, because, and this is, this, is this is my ultimate bitch here, is that here we are with this world-leading cloud, best, you know, customer success platform in the universe and all this stuff, and I can't access a damn HTTP post. Seriously? Come on. <laughs> and if I if I would have known that from now I know that. Um, well, this, and, and, so but if I would have known that from the beginning, this, it would have taken me just a few hours to do all this. But I know, and instead I spent you know probably three times that trying all these other different mechanisms and and having to get to almost the end of building it to figure out that this is this is not going to work because of this thing I just hit. Well, I I just don't think people have have hit that because they haven't had a need for it. I mean, what what, is, what specifically are you doing that your page is is kind of in Salesforce but not in Salesforce? It's not in Salesforce. Okay, well there you go then. But that's why Salesforce has APIs, yeah. and that's and you know, right. I mean, that's what has sites that you can put Visual Force pages on. I mean, I'm sure so that, I'm sure there's API been. Why take the? Why couldn't your API handle the file and then push it directly without having to? Well, you're limited to the browser security model. I mean, when oh, you because you're doing this client side. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Okay, that's the key difference. Yes. Okay. And it's the way that brow- all browsers and the web uploads files. Right. And you just can't do that in Salesforce. 
Where's mine? You need to start using the magic touch bar for that. Or the I know touch bar yeah. for your soundboard. <laughs> I don't even know what I call that. What do you... I don't know. Oh, there we go. You can't do this with Salesforce. You really can't. It really sucks. You, when you really can't search for them, you know. I know. It takes it, it takes up <laughs> all the spontaneity. It does. <clears throat> I know that was a long story, but it's just like, come on, guys. This is and this is you know what I call uh, it's programming on bu- with bumpers. It's like they don't. Well, I, uh, they're, they're they don't let you have like what what in job like uh, servlets, which let, would let you access the whole HTTP request. Well, because it it's their platform. They they want to control it. They want to control what you are doing in it. What's the what's the point of them not letting me do that? And name another name another web platform out there that doesn't let you do that. I just, Th- there I just are think none. It's a matter of security. It's not a matter of security. How so? It's just, it's just, in, it's not a matter of security. It's a matter of, well, how is it? You have to, you made the argument. How is that a matter of security? <laughs> I'm just talking about. In- we've handled security. We've got HTTP, HTTPS. We've, we're using OAuth. I mean, we've got security covered. I mean, how is it, how is it a, a security problem for me to access something that the, the a web client just posted to me? No, I, I think, I think what I'm trying to say is that overall, when it comes to putting things into the platform and developing on the platform, they, they, they've created this proprietary system that you have to live within those bounds. And with that comes all of their security. They created, yes. They created their own but, proprietary system, their own proprietary languages, their own proprietary right. frameworks. And, and it's just never going to be as good as, as stuff competing out there in the real world. And what I'm saying is, is, is they can't go and expose everything. So they're so, exposing so anyway, things that on demand. This, or, this was my Salesforce. the need arises. Yeah. So this was my Salesforce DX of last week. It was a very bad DX. I still think what you were trying to do is weird. Well, how's it weird? It was awesome. Well, because there's no, there's no, it seems like your application is purely client side with no API on of its own that that can communicate with Salesforce. It's a web app, John, that people can upload images into, and it needs to attach those images into Salesforce. It's sending all the other data to Salesforce, all kinds of record data and stuff. It also just needs to be able to attach images. People need to upload an image into it to attach to something. What what API are you saying I, I would need? I don't know. It just seems like you're. I don't know. You basically <laughs> created your own API when you when you implemented the Heroku page. I had to create, yeah, because Salesforce doesn't let you access the damn HTTP body. So I had to create a, a simple Note app to do it. <clears throat> so and your just, entire application is running in the browser. Yes. There's no server side components. N- no. It, it the only server side is Salesforce's server side. Like it communicates. It's purely running off Salesforce's API. I mean, the only server-side thing there... Well, so the server-side is that there's a static resource bundle that is where all the that app is hosted. Yeah. I mean, it's intriguing. It's interesting. I just... I just... Um, yeah, I mean, I, it, I have a hard... I have, it's just one of those corners of the platform that you hit because... I just have a hard time building an application and saying, yep, this is all client-side and... We're not, we're not gonna, there's no server-side component to it. I mean, Salesforce is the server-side. <laughs> Salesforce is the server-side. I don't know. I just, I just feel like I would need to abstract that a bit, that I would need to be able to control, you know, how that interaction happens at, at, you know, at a different layer. But I don't know. I mean, this is how modern web apps, web apps are built. They're single-page apps, and they, it's, it's well, APIs. Maybe, maybe I'm an old curmudgeon, and I don't like the way modern apps are built. I know. I should have <laughs> built it on ASP Classic, damn it. 
<laughs> I want my damn layers. Yeah. I want my bean dip layer that I have to go through to get, get stuff done. <laughs> your, your seven layer app. <laughs> yes. Seven layer apps. There you go. This is not like a 12 factor app. This is a seven layer app. <laughs> anyway. Um, I, I wanted to ask you, I, I saw this, someone posted it into our Slack a few weeks ago. There's a, there's a new IntelliJ plugin for Salesforce. And it listed some features that Illuminated Cloud doesn't have. Hmm. Um, well, too late. I already bought Illuminated Cloud. I know, I did too. <laughs> but it's got, it's got like supposedly right off the bat, like refactoring, rename refactoring, and some other refactoring built in. Um, some other things too. I was hmm. like, wow. I mean, I was, I'm actually really skeptical. Of how well it works? Or? Yeah, of how well it works. I haven't tried it. We know refactoring is a really tough problem to solve in Salesforce. Yeah. I mean, even just manually trying to refactor something, it gets out of sync or there's some kind of, you know, dependency. I don't know what you call it. Dependent loop. Well, I want to call it where it, yeah. the dependency isn't, doesn't exist, but it thinks it exists and you can't change the class because of the dependency. Because it thinks it still needs that class, it's it's just yeah. It's when the, the tough thing about implementing refactoring for Salesforce is that you basically have to build your own. You're gonna have to, you know, parser not only parser but basically your own. Um, you have to basically do compiling so that when you like say you do a rename refactor and it's um, you're renaming the pub, a public member of a class. You have to go through all the other source code and find out what references that, right? Right, and since Apex is a static language, it's a very doable thing. But you're having to write all this thing that normally would be written for you. Like if you wanted to write a Sales or a Java plugin, like you're not going to re you're going to rewrite a compiler and a, and a and a parser and you know your own abstract syntax trees and all that stuff. It, it's already it's all part of the platform, so it's all done. So. Um, yeah, it, I'm, I'm kind of skeptical. But if anyone's tried it, let us know. It, I think it's free. Mm. I just haven't had time to... And I'm also... I'm always just so scared of like installing something into my very important work tool and like yeah. screwing something up. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I, I wanted to say... I, I, I can, should do I it. I should do it in a Docker Lightweight container. You should. <laughs> should. I say, sorry, what can you appreciate? Well, I, I was going to say, I, I can appreciate all these tools that people are putting out, um, especially the ones that are free... However, at the same time, I kind of want them to charge for it. At least, you know, if, if they have a free version, great, but come up with a pro version that you can charge for because in my mind, free isn't going to last. Uh, it, that, yep. that means it's a part-time endeavor. You know, we're not going to get support. I'm not going to be able to rely on it. It may be great right now, but Salesforce is constantly changing, constantly evolving. You know, you know when are you going to find time to, to build these new features in it? So I'm, I'm a big advocate of... If you want to have a free version to, to get it out there, great, but plan for a pay version. We are out here willing to pay for thing, for good tools, I will say. The, you're, you say that, right? But, I mean, developers are notorious for not wanting to pay for tools. Well, I don't know. I, I, a lot of... And, and there Microsoft are, has done pretty well charging a buttload of money for, for their development they've tools. They've kind of stopped. We are out there. They've kind of stopped. And they've really transitioned to charging for services now. Um. And there's certainly, I mean, examples that, that prove that wrong. I mean, IntelliJ itself is one, right? Yeah. Well, hell, I, I've not, paid for all of IntelliJ. Yeah, right. I'm not on community. I, I paid for the damn thing. So speaking of Salesforce um, IDEs, I thought I heard Chris Peterson or someone say that the 
uh, and maybe this isn't so new, I don't know, but the Eclipse, the Salesforce provided Eclipse plugin is like completely rebuilt, much better and like really good lightning support and everything. I I haven't fired that up in a long time. So. I don't even have Eclipse. And I have such, you know, like force.com IDE PTSD that yeah. I don't even know if I can put that back on my machine. Well, well the fact that I, I couldn't install the latest version of Eclipse because, you know, the, the original, or was it force.com IDE? I think that's what they called it. The Eclipse version of their plugin was, was kind of, didn't really support all these newer versions. It was just yeah. really falling behind on everything. And it just wasn't, just wasn't catching up. Yep. Um, all right. Let's keep going or I don't want, I'm, I'm dominating here and you're yawning. You are so dominating. I'm, that's probably bad that you're yawning. Maybe you should have a go, John. <laughs> I should have a go. <clears throat> Did you see the, uh, Forbes article on Einstein? I don't know. I don't, I don't how think I read machine, it. Th- this, this is what, what so, was that? What was the headline? How a machine or Salesforce Einstein, how a machine brain learns. God. I thought, you know, let's go check this out. Let's see how this, how Einstein learns. And it was nothing but a freaking BS PR article. Now, the, the stuff that it was referencing, I, I find interesting um, from a higher level, but it, it was it was talking about the Salesforce research team, which is pretty much MetaMind. You know, all, you know, everyone who's, who's working in the Salesforce research, and I'm using air quotes here, team that they've kind of put names out on. They're all former MetaMind people. Yeah. So, <clears throat> and those guys seem to be pretty smart guys yeah. and the, you know, they really know this stuff and they're really into it. And so, the, so the, um, the reason they were getting covered is because they, they recently, let me bring this up. Sorry. Um, they submitted their, they submitted their solutions for this, um, squad, this, uh, the Stanford question answering data set. So it's a data set that they provide. And you write the technology that will take this data set and produce the results. And then you send them the technology. You send them, I think you send them the actual scripts. They run the scripts and then they validate it and score it. And so, every, you know, everyone who's involved in kind of machine learning, natural language processing, all that kind of stuff, they would they would submit their scripts for this and they would get ranked. Okay. And um, so in this particular one, Salesforce actually got ranked number two for dynamic co-attention networks. Um, and then again, for the same thing, but against a single data set, I guess, or single model, number eight for that. Um, so that's what they were covering. They were covering that, you know, they, you know, they submitted some, some, some scripts for this and they got ranked, they, they got ranked along with other people like IBM and Microsoft and all those kind of people. So I don't know, I guess Forbes were trying to make the, the dotted line connection that they were number three in, in, in AI technology. Yeah, and, and to watch these Forbes guys try to write about technology they don't know anything about, it, it's always kind of painful. Well, I mean, yeah, and, and even even all this stuff, I mean, I'm finding myself kind of like a fish out of water when it comes to a lot of the AI stuff when we get really deep. You know, I have like the high-level cursory understanding enough to get by and BS my way through a conversation, but when you get really deep into all this other stuff, you know, that's where I kind of get lost. Um, but these guys, these guys on the research team for MetaMind seem to really know what they're doing and seem to kind of understand that. And I guess the way they're, they're positioned and structured as a research group is kind of encouraging because that means they're able to kind of continue to to work on this stuff and advance it. Now, how it gets applied and becomes practical That's my question. in the Salesforce yep. world, I don't know. I have no doubt the Salesforce employs a bunch of smart, you know, 
data nerds. I mean, the question is, is can they build a commercially viable product out of it? Can, or can they, at, at Salesforce scale, can they integrate it into the existing products? Well, I, I think the technology has has a place, but what, you know, how valuable is that going to be? Is it, is it going to be enough to, to bring people to the platform? Or, right. or, or is this just know? a fad, just like to have these other fads that have come and gone? Yeah. I mean, okay, so it's going to be able to, to take a question or take a Twitter post and process it in a way where it can def- kind of derive what the emotion was. Were they angry when they posted this? Were they nice and being complimentary and figure out how to categorize it better and how to route it? Sure, that all sounds great. And we've had, be- But we had social media sentiment analysis for, what, six, seven years, something like that now? I mean, yeah. so again, it's so, so much of the stuff is not new. It's just, well, is, does, is Einstein making it better than what it was? Or well, I, I think I think currently the technology that does that is kind of filtering, is, is kind of more filtering based. You know, you, you define some things for it to look for and it goes out and kind of mines the data for this kind of stuff and f- bubbles up some stuff, you know, to prioritize it. Yeah. But I think, you know, when it comes to the, the I'm using air quotes again because I hate that they're using AI for this. But I think the AI that we're trying to talk, talk about here is to try to, Getting gain a deeper understanding based on the context of the conversation, maybe looking at other things around it, and then try to, you know, the machine itself is building the algorithms to figure out how to bubble and, and prioritize that information versus you sitting here and writing a bunch of filters. Right. Um, yeah. So I, I do see some value in those type of things, but, you know, is it, is it going to be enough to, to really drive, you know, the next wave of technology in terms of enterprise software? Yep. No, that's, it's always the challenge, right? <clears throat> Turning it into a viable commercial product. Right. I mean, a bunch of PhDs, you know, sitting in a room. Are you going to get a commercial product out of that? I don't know. You know? Well, it happened for Google, didn't it? <laughs> it? It definitely can happen. I just, I just think that, you know, again, I mean, this is a complimentary. Like, these guys are, I'm sure, really smart and I'm sure they can come up, I'm sure they've got all kinds of awesome stuff. Right? Yeah. But that doesn't mean that it makes sense from a commercial perspective or, it can it it's readily uh, applicable to Salesforce's applications. Yeah, I mean, I, there's you know there's the obvious use cases, the ones that we always hear about. Like, what email should I read next? Who should I call next? How good is this lead? Right? I mean, those are the ones that seem like anyone can think of. Um, and if I can figure out how to apply all that stuff to make that to make it so good, actually, that people are like, oh, we 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 got to have that. Like, that's so good. Yeah. And if it's just like, oh, I don't know. The other thing has lead scoring and it's, it's works pretty well. So is it that much of a difference? Is it worth a billion dollars that they paid for it? You know, I, yeah. I don't know. Well, I, I think the danger here is that Salesforce will rush it. And I feel like Einstein is kind of rushed to market because it's not really something that we can really, I want to say it's not something we can really use or apply or is not really all that exciting. It, it doesn't have that, you know what, that's really great tech. It works and it's going to really help us right now. I mean, what's it? I mean, what, you what, think about lightning. How that's, uh, of course, we've talked about lightning before, and we talked about how it kind of needed to happen. It had to happen, and there's really no good way of of approaching that. However, it it, it is something that's kind of slowly building momentum. There's a lot of you know feature gaps and things like that that we're having to deal with, and it's kind of left a bad taste in our mouth. In fact, I wouldn't I wouldn't doubt it that in some future a year or two from now the whole thing gets rebrand, rebranded because I think a lot of people are just kind of like lightning. I don't, I don't know about lightning. Yeah. I mean, that's, a, you know, like you said, we've, we've talked about this. It's, it's something that it's got to be done. You know, my, my beefs with are with how they communicated it and, and they really downplayed, I think 
the long-term investment this is going to take from people to get into lightning. And I'm talking about big existing orgs. Um, and there's just, there's just orgs that are just never going to go lightning. It's just impossible. Yeah. And, and, and the question is, you know, because lightning's great, right? But it's what, two or three years old now. I mean, how old will lightning be before we get to what's the next lightning? I mean, the next UI paradigm where you have to then rebuild your entire company, your entire infrastructure. Well, that would be lightning, wouldn't it? I mean, uh, Einstein. I don't know. <laughs> but anyways, to pop you know what I'm saying, though? It's yeah, like, I mean, but to, to pop the stack, as you say. Um, the reason I bring that up is because I, I feel like Einstein was a rush lo- was, was a rush launch to make some bud- buzzwords to to boost the stock. As opposed and, to what? As opposed to Thundercloud? As opposed to Lightning? I mean, that's what I'm saying, exactly. I mean, it's I mean, all this, rushed. This poten- it's, this, it's all this pre-announced. This could be a good product. Right. And, and I hope it gets its, its day in the, in the sun. But, it, but, again, I, I, but I see what you're saying. The way they approached yeah. it and the way they released it, it you know, at it engen- point, we're gonna, we're gonna, it, exactly. It engenders skepticism right. big time. Because exactly. they, they've done this to us over and over and over. And to the point now, we just we pretty much don't believe anything they say. Right. And I, I, I mean, since it's been announced, I've been highly skeptical of it. But as I look into the MetaMind guys a little bit more and I see some of the, the presentations they've done and I see the research that they're working on and the way they're participating in these these kind of um, exercises with, with, with other people in the community that are doing some really nice stuff, that encourages me that, you know, they're, you know, these guys know what they're doing. Absolutely. I don't disagree with that at all. So, and, and so but but my skepticism comes from the fact that, OK, well, this is in the Salesforce world. You know, they're, I don't want to say they're not about delivering good software, <laughs> but at the same time, it seems their motivations, especially recently, have been more about boosting the stock, making news, um, over, you know, versus best of breed. This is awesome technology because we are a technology company. They're a public company and we all know what comes with that. Yeah. They're, they're, you have to manage Wall Street. Yeah. And sometimes that means a lot of early releases and a lot of uh, questionable communication, you know, about around things. Yeah. But um, hey, uh, I wanted to ask you something. I used to use an app a long time ago called uh, what was it called? Shoot, not Drop.io. Uh, Dropler. Dropler. You ever oh. seen Dropler? I remember that. Very cool. So it's, I, I don't know if it's, I think it's Windows and cross, I think it's cross platform, I guess. I'm not sure. But it, it puts a little drop, a little icon up in your menu bar. Mm-hmm. And you can basically drag anything up into that. And yep. then it gives you a link and you can send to people. Yep. Um, and it's got, nowadays, it's got really cool stuff. You I mean, you can, you can use it to share snippets of text. It'll convert your markdown in HTML. If you're, you know, you can do a screenshot and annotate it and then, and then drop that up. You can um, do sc- screen recordings. And and it's all built into the app, right? Very cool. And I thought, you know, I want, uh, I really want to, I need to get something like that again. Because I was, you know, I'm doing the Dropbox thing where I was trying, I was needing to share stuff over and over and over working working with someone remotely. And, you know, there's a thing where, okay, gosh, okay, so I, I would drag it into my Dropbox folder because my Dropbox folder is not all encompassing. I have a segregated off Dropbox folder, unlike the way you run. Yeah, everything's in there. And so I have to drop it, in, drop it into my Dropbox folder. And then I have to copy that link and send that to someone, but it's still on my hard drive. And so for the big things, I have to remember like, oh crap, I need to go like, I don't, I don't want this wasteland, this landfill of all things I've shared with people before. Right. A, lot of, a lot of times they're just very um, temp, you know, temporal. They're just, I need them for a few seconds. I, actually, as soon as I send the link to someone, I want it off my machine. I don't even want to see it anymore. Mm. It's gone. Whereas the Dropbox, it's on, you know, yeah, it's it just stays there. And so Dropbox even, you know, 
So it's really cool. And I went to look at it and it's, and it's um, you know, the thing is it's not, it, and again, it's, it gets back to like people are being stingy, like it's 10 bucks <laughs> a month. <laughs> And and that and it's it's a valuable app and it's probably it, sure it's worth ten bucks a month and it and it's well implemented works well, but you know it, I mean I I have are so many subscriptions already and every you know nowadays everyone's you know I'm, you get subscription to death I know and, and I'm, I, I'm not I'm not a fan of of these software companies moving to this subscription model I'd rather just I, I want fine charge me a hundred bucks for this software I'll pay it once and if you come out with an upgrade that that's compelling right. I will pay the upgrade price so so as it stands if I sign up for uh, ten bucks a month that's a hundred and twenty dollars yeah. a year they would never be able to sell that yeah. product for hundred twenty dollars no much less every year it'd be like a twenty nine thirty nine dollar product yeah and they'd yeah and they might have a major upgrade maybe once a year that you'd pay for yeah and so yeah it, it's I mean I don't want to be stingy and I definitely like to support especially these indie software developers but I'm like damn I don't know so I kind of looked around. There's another one called Cloud App that's really popular, and it looks pretty well done too. I think I've seen that one too. And I, I went through a bunch of these trying to figure out how I was going to share files, and I, I ended up centering on Dropbox because I ended up using it for everything, and it was easy for me it, to it just works. create a link. Yeah, and everything I did was on it. So there, I will say, and, and it works. The, the the things for Dropbox for me is again, I don't want it on my hard drive. A lot of these things anymore, um, and the the features that these little apps have in terms of like doing uploading, like doing a screenshot just directly and makes a lot of that stuff. It's just built yeah. all this functionality in the app that's w- way above and beyond what Dropbox does. Right. But I found this other one called DropShare and it's similar to, to Dropler and it, I think it might be Mac only. I'm not sure. Mm-hmm. I, think it, I think it might be Mac only. But the main differentiator with it is it doesn't have its own, it historically did not have its own storage. So you had to like go sign up for an Amazon S3 bucket or a Red, um, not Red Hat, um, I don't know, a few, few of these big hosting providers. Like you just signed up with one of their data storage, you know, kind of um, S3 buckets or whatever. And, you you know, you just pay, you know, Amazon, whatever your storage costs are. You don't, you know. And the and the app was a one-time, I think it was $29, something like that. One time for the app. Hmm. Not a subscription. So you can't connect to Dropbox? <laughs> I don't know if it uses, it, it uses several different things for a backend. I don't know if Dropbox is one of them. It might be, actually. Um it, it just needs somewhere to store the file, you know, that, right. and that they can, because I think when they, they upload it and they, it gives it a weird um, kind of a generator. Yeah, it gives yeah. a short URL and whatever. Um, but they also, they're in beta right now on their own ba- storage backend, hmm. right? And if you sign up, if you buy the app and use their storage backend, the app is free. And right now, because it's in beta, the backend storage is free. Because it's in beta. Now, eventually, it's going to come out of beta and they're going to want you to pay, you know, five bucks a month or something for this storage. Right. So anyway, it's, it, right now, if you're, you, if you're willing to use their backend storage, it's completely free to use this thing. So what do you do when they start charging? I don't know. I still think I'm going to evaluate. I'm, I, actually, what I want to do is I'm like, well, I'm just, I'll use this for a while. I want to use this for a couple of weeks and then I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to use Dropbox for a couple of weeks and just see which one I like better. But yeah, the 120 bucks a year for a little... Droppy file share thing. It's like, yeah. ah, I don't know. I, I have a few apps that I was using them enough that I felt it was worth it. But then I was like, you know what? They, It's just not enough value for me to pay, be paying year over year. And the updates aren't that frequent. And the updates that do come are not, they're not critical enough that I'm like, this is worth it. Right. And it also, unfortunately, kind of puts the software developer in this mode of having to do the strategy of bundling and sandbagging all these features. 
They're not going to release new features in the product. They're only going to do bug fixes. And so they sandbag all these features um, and then do a big release. That's, that's how they get you to buy a new version. Mm-hmm. But with subscription, obviously, they don't have to do that. They're not, that's one nice thing about it. It's, kind of, it's almost yeah. liberating. Like They can just, just keep adding new features like every week, like a, little, a new feature or something. So that's one benefit of the subscription, but it's like, I don't know, man. It, the, again, I mean, that's when you hear a lot of people say that, you know, that there's obviously, there, there's the, you know, listen to this typical Salesforce sales pitch, and it's like, oh, you save so much money. You don't have your servers. You don't have to have those people anymore. You know, you have to worry about uptime. And well, of course, we all know that's, a lot of that's not true. But, but anyway, you know, there's the, they can show you this model of how you're going to save all this money. But then, you know, you end up, you know, need an extra storage, which is in, ungodly expensive. Um, you need, you know, you need some third-party add-ons, and next thing you know, you've been subscription to death, and you're paying, you know, four thousand dollars a year per user for all this crap that you've got. And it's like, it turns out that this is actually way more expensive than what we were spending before. <laughs> it's a slippery. That subscription is a thing is a well, slippery they slope. Add up. I mean, because every little thing adds up, and it. I mean, yes. that's where it gets and they it. don't go away. No. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, no, if, oh, if you want to cancel this, and you have to send us an encrypted fax through the Federal Reserve banking system, and it's like, what? How do I, you know? They make it incredibly hard to fax <laughs> or to to cancel. I don't even have a fax. I don't even know where. Where would you go to send a fax? In Salesforce? No, just anywhere. I'm just saying they. Oh. They they, they the make library? it hard to cancel. But that's a, that's a sign of an honest service, though. P- things that make it easy to cancel. Yeah, I agree. That, that gives you a good feeling. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, I, I learned an interesting thing about the Apple Watch <laughs> the other day. What? <laughs> <laughs> your, your laughter is... Yeah. Yeah. So uh, now that I'm hopefully getting over my November of sickness, started you know started working out again. So I'm upstairs lifting weights the other morning. And, you know, I, I have like... I guess they're workout, like weightlifting workout gloves are like the fingerless, which is kind of like, I don't know, kind of weird 80s thing, but it's, it's actually for functional reasons. <laughs> you wuss. And I look like, like take I the know, Freddie Mercury or something. I got, I um, got calluses. Yeah. Um, but they, they kind of bump right up against my watch, these gloves do. And so, you know, it'll be, I'm always having to like turn Siri off. It's, or it'll, it'll hold down like this button uh-huh. uh, or whatever the off button is. And it'll, it'll give me the screen that says, you know, slide this to can't to turn off your watch. I'm like, right. I always have to keep canceling that. So kind of a pain in the butt, but no, whatever. I kind of want to leave the watch on because it tracks my workout, you know, whatever. That's what it's for, right? Yeah. And I was wrapping up my workout and I was just about to walk out and I had my, you know, my headset in, listening to music or something. I don't know what it is. And, uh, you know, it's kind of noise, a noise canceling, mm-hmm. you know, or it's a block, you know, the, the ones that block the sound. So you really can't hear much going on. And I just happened to look down at my watch and I could see that my watch had called 911, emergency services, because it held down. I don't even know how you do it. You know how to call one of these buttons. If you hold it down, yeah. it calls 911. And it had been version. on. I was, there's a, there's a, also a, a, t- uh, a timer. on It had been on 911 for 25 seconds. And so I took my headset out really quick and I could hear the lady you know, saying, 911, do you have an emergency? Do you have an emergency? You know, she'd been asking me this for 25 seconds. I didn't even know it. And so I said, I'm, I'm doing, I'm, I'm, and I never talk on the phone through my watch. So here I feel like an idiot. I'm talking to my watch. I'm like, no, 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 I'm not, I don't have an emergency. It's my watch. It's my watch. And I'm, I'm like trying to figure out, like I'm panicking and I can't get logical words to come out of my mouth. <laughs> I'm like, no, it's my watch. She's like, do you have an emergency? I'm like, no, it's my watch. 
sir, do you have an emergency? I'm like, I, my watch called you on. I don't know what to say. And she's like, what? <laughs> she's like, all right, we're sending the paddy wagon so it, over. And exactly. Now they're going you know, to send the, the uh, mental health services out to my house, do a yeah. mental check. Because I had to defuse that situation. Because <laughs> your talking watch called 911. Exactly. That's exactly right. Oh, This isn't Beauty and the Beast, Jeremy. Um, so we have, uh, I, I guess we need to address this um, this topic that came up in the Slack channel about this whole model of like the trigger model that Salesforce has versus right. like, I guess the, the other way that you build enterprise software, or, yeah, which is there's all kinds of different gradients and shades of, but. What's the seven layer dip? <laughs> exactly. It kind of is. Um, but that's kind of a big one. Um, I have a, you want to get into that now or? Uh, we have a we have a lot of other stuff. We do. Let's let's get let's get some other stuff out of the way first. Okay. Under the tech radar. <laughs> this is just something that I mentioned last week, right? The thought. Yeah, we'll, we'll do that one really quick, and then I'll, I'll, do, I'll do my uh, squid update, and then uh, we'll get into that. So first of all, so this is ThoughtWorks. You know, they're a software consultancy. They're kind of like a high end. They employ a lot of these, you know, big thinkers, I guess, on on software and. I imagine they get some good projects. They they seem like they do pretty well. Yeah, but they publish this thing every year called the Tech Radar. You know, ThoughtWorks' own Tech Radar, and it, it's pretty transparently a a promotion thing for them. It's basically the stuff like it's like this is the stuff that we want to work on for you. <laughs> you know, <laughs> um, it's kind of self serving, but I guess that's with any companies that publish yeah. these types of things. It's it's so you have to definitely it's it's interesting, and there's probably people that work there that produce this, but you also have to take it with a grain of salt. Like they, the thing that jumped out to me is like they basically are putting Angular JS on the no. I'm like, really? Angular is on the no list. It's on the hold, which is like the worst category. So let's well, talk it's about that one guy they had that could work on it left, and so now they have to put it on hold because they can't do. it. <laughs> yeah, <anymore>. exactly. Right. <laughs> they don't. Yeah, they're they don't have enough Angular resources right. uh, internally. Uh, you just you you just called them resources <laughs> on purpose. I'm okay. like making fun of them. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I, and again, I had this week. People literally to my face. Call me a resource. <laughs> it's just because you put like, so much. You, I'm not you, a. It's in your brain that that's an insult. I'm not a so pile you, of goo that can be like shipped around and boxed up and packaged and you know distributed among several customers and things. I'm <laughs> I'm a person. Well, that's kind of how I get used. I think. <laughs> <laughs> well, it feels that way sometimes. I heard you like being used that way. As long as they pay me. Um, yeah. So the so the th- the. Four categories, and I guess if you're not in one of these categories, you don't even exist to them. But there's adopt, which is we feel strongly that the industry should be adopting these items. We use them when appropriate on our projects. Okay. Then there's trial, and this is worth pursuing. It's important to understand how to build up this capability. Enterprises should try this technology on a project that can handle the risk. And third category is assess, and these are worth exploring with a goal of understanding how it will affect your enterprise. And the final category is hold, proceed with caution. <laughs> those are weird descriptions. I, I actually have a hard time reading those and then interpreting if I was trying to use this as a guide. Like, okay, what does that actually mean? Like, should I, should I, should I not use this thing? I understand like the best category, but all those other three categories, I don't quite understand. I, I think hold is a, is a nice way of, say, of them saying, try not to use this. Well, let me, so the, the, again, the one that jumped out to me was AngularJS, and they, they put that on hold. And here's what they had to say. 
AngularJS helped revolutionize the world of single-page JavaScript applications, and we have delivered many successful projects with it over the years. However, most of our resources now are interested in React, and we fired the guys that worked on Angular, so we no longer consider this a good... Oh, I'm sorry, no, that's not what it says. It says, however, we are no longer recommending it... Oh, version 1. Interesting. We are no longer recommending it, parentheses version 1, for teams starting fresh projects. We prefer the ramp-up speed and more maintainable code bases we are seeing with Ember and React, particularly in conjunction with Redux. That's interesting because I mean, with version two, there is there is a there is a, enough of a difference that you're you're basically having to ramp up on a new technology. And if you're if you're going to do that, you know, do you do you switch over to one of the other frameworks and get up to speed on that one? Angular two kind of blindsided me because I started checking it out. It was still in beta, but it had been you know a pretty long alpha and beta period. I think one just or sorry, two point oh just this was released a month or two ago. So that, but I mean, it was in beta for a long time. And so I'd been hearing about it, and I, you know, read some some of their blog posts and things talking about, you know, it's a, a pre, I mean, we've got these ideas for how you can you can migrate version one apps, um, mm-hmm. you know, there's these different strategies. And now that I've done Angular two on a couple of projects, like I would never migrate an Angular one project to Angular two. It, that is a rewrite. Yeah, that's a ground up rewrite. And I think overall, I think it's a good thing. Like the whole model with version two is so much better than one. Yeah. So. Well, it has less to overcome too. I mean, there, there's a lot more utility in in JavaScript now that they can leverage versus you know some of the legacy stuff where they're you know you're you're kind of building placeholders or what do they call that? Where you build a technology because if the underlying technology doesn't support it, you mask it with your own technology. Oh, a shim. A sh- I guess a shim. Yeah. Shiv. That's what they. Yeah. That's a different thing. <laughs> I, I always, I always get shim and shiv confused. <laughs> Not in real life, just right. when I'm trying to use it as a uh, metaphor, yeah. analogy. Yeah, shim is like when two pieces of wood don't quite fit together, you jam something in between them to get them to made up. That's a shim. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, they, yeah, and the and the browser. I never, to, I never tried to, or a polyfill. You hear that too, right? In the browser land. Oh yeah, yeah. <clears throat> That's kind of the same. Yeah, Are those same any thing. difference? I mean, practically speaking? I think it's a shim. It's a shiv. Um, Maybe it, it's a shiv. So what else jumped out at you on the uh, jumped out at you from the tech radar? I was just going down the list and I was just looking at things and I don't know, I just for me sometimes these things are 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 interesting because they expose things that I may not have known. Like there was a few right. things on here that I'd never heard of, and I was like, "Well, what this? What the hell's that?" Oh, there's a lot of things I hadn't heard of. So, um, I, I, you know, for well, for one thing, I kind of like them because as as much as I like to think I'm, I have my thumb on the pulse of technology, and I know at least at a high level all these frameworks and things that are out there. I really don't know any of them, so it's kind of nice to kind of see a list of things and see what's kind of bubbling up in people's minds, and and to kind of go and check them out. Well, you'll be happy to know that in the platforms category, finally, this has moved, your, your favorite thing has moved to adopt. And it's... Docker lightweight containers. Ooh. Yeah. <laughs> so they're in the, the best category now. We've made it. Also, you know, HSTS. I love these acronyms. I had to go look that up. And, it, and once I looked it up, I knew what it was. I don't even remember what it was. It's... Um, uh, hi, oh, shoot, what is it? It's basically... <laughs> I'll tell you what it is. It's be much more better than, much better than the name of it. <laughs> You make an HTTP request, uh-huh. unencrypted, okay. and the server responds back, can respond back with a header saying, yeah, um, call me back with HTTPS, 
And for this entire domain, don't ever use HTTP again. So it just gave you the hand. It was like... It pretty much does. <laughs> um, what is this? This is HTTP, strict transport security. HSTTS? Yeah, HSTS. <laughs> I don't know. Um, John, um, have you done any cloud lift and shift? I think this is a <laughs> workout program. Lift and shift, huh? Can you do that in the mindfulness zones at Salesforce? So, so I, instead of going to my gym, I can now gym in the cloud. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, reactive architectures are in trial. That's under the techniques category. That's pretty cool. What's Rancher? Rancher? Yeah. Did I say Rancher? No, it's it's on this list. Oh, I haven't. Is I it a, it was on Do Not Disturb. Is it a Jolly Rancher? Or another variety of it Rancher? It's Rancher. I don't know what Rancher is. <laughs> it's in trial of platforms. I don't know. Yeah. Um, .NET Core is on Assess. That's interesting. Uh, one important one. I don't know if it's important. Electron. Yeah, I saw Electron was on there. Well, I, didn't, I didn't know about Auth0. I don't know either. Oh, Auth0. Yeah. Um, I, I, I don't know. Is it Auth0 or Auth0? No, See, it's Auth0. How much I did not yeah, know no. about it. Yeah, I don't know. Actually, I don't know. I've never done any Auth0. It's... Um, <clears throat> oh, okay. I, I think I heard of this. I think it just... It's some... It's. I don't know if it's a subset of like profiles of like OAuth and maybe SAML or something, but it's, um, I don't know, some easy way to do OAuth, I guess. I don't, I don't know. I, I welcome it. Auth0, yeah. CMS is a platform. You, you pointed that out. I'm like, what does that mean? Yeah, I have no <clears> idea what that means. I think that's using like, um, what are they called? Uh, like either WordPress or what are the other ones? J- uh, Drupal and Jang- uh, oh. Django. Um, Joomla. 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 As like your platform. People do. I mean, I mean companies get Amazing! I'm I'm amazed at, at WordPress. <clears throat> mm-hmm. I mean, you can build, you can run a fairly big company on WordPress, do all kinds of crazy stuff. I mean, I I know there's some guys who are like these WordPress experts. I'm like, wow, this is not just a blogging platform. This is huge. Ecosystem's huge. Mm-hmm. I mean, of course, there's tons of pitfalls because it's giant and there's a bunch of jackasses in that business. Right. <clears throat> it's a bunch of crap out there, but there's also a ton of good stuff. And if you know. Like if you've, what's the word, curated like the right ways and tools of doing things and plugins and stuff, I mean, you can do amazing stuff in WordPress for almost free. <laughs> well, yeah, I'm glad you mentioned that because that, that, that makes sense. Um, also under Adopt Babel, that's the, I assume they're talking about the, um, the ECMAScript transpiler. I don't know. Is that what it's called? I don't know. So it'll take, you can write in, you know, ES, what do they call it now? ES5, ES2016. And also, I guess, ES2017, apparently, is coming. Um, and it it will convert it down to, or I guess transpile is the word, to whatever you want. ES5, ES4. I don't think these guys are in the Salesforce ecosystem. I didn't see Lightning <laughs> or Apex. Um, <laughs> well, th- this is when... Aura. Aura's not even... <clears throat> Yeah, uh, this is as a Salesforce developer. You look at this and you're like, <laughs> <laughs> "Look at all these things I'm not uh, using." None of these. <laughs> no. Ember, React, Redux, Spring. Uh, what else? Elixir, Immutable JS. <laughs> you can't do this with Salesforce. <laughs> uh, um, they have under under here under assess a uh, view Vue.js. Have you heard of Vue.js? No. So I, I've been following it. Just you know, I've kind of seen. People talking about it, blog posts, and for people, you know, um, it's a um, supposedly like a lightweight JavaScript front end framework. 
I think we're, much I think we're lower lightweight. Yeah. You know, I think, I think the, the frameworks of the past have been really heavy handed trying to make up for, for all the, you know, whether it's lack of typing or, or lack of, or just, you know, the complexities that come with JavaScript. And I, I think with the ES6 getting better, future versions of that continuing to get better, that we'll start to see much lighter weight frameworks. I think that, I think the challenge has been turning web technologies into an, an enterprise grade platform. I mean, 10 years ago, it was, it was a ridiculous thought. And the, the thought of building a big enterprise app like an HTML and JavaScript was unthinkable. That's when you had things like um, Google's GWT, mm-hmm. right? So you write the whole thing in Java. Yeah. <clears throat> you had CSS and stuff, but it's, it's Java, right? And then this compiler thing then spits out your, jo- your HTML and your JavaScript. And it was actually amazing. I mean, it did code splitting, modularization, internationalization, worked really well. But the, the problem I always had with GWT was that it, it just, it was, you had these two separate worlds that, Shall never meet. I mean, you had to have pretty. I mean, you want you had to have pretty good Java developers to build to build good apps, right? But those guys mainly weren't web, they weren't finding web developers. So the, the Java guys, who were could be great engineers, d- didn't know crap about. I mean, I'll say I mean a little bit, but they weren't finding web experts. And the finding web experts don't know the first thing about Java. And so you you had this gulf there that was just always difficult to overcome. And there wasn't, I mean, there wasn't a, they weren't seamed together well. It was, you know, and, and in, the other thing in GWT is in a lot of cases, you did have to, at some point, you'd have to, dr- when you implement, and I can't remember the details of it, but you would, uh, you kind of drop down and define in, in JavaScript how something would convert to Java to JavaScript, you know? Mm-hmm. And so you'd have to have some guys that knew both sides really well. And it was just, it was just hard. That was a, a tough one in GWT. And I also just thought to myself, like, let's say you wanted to use some, you wanted to reuse an existing... I mean, there's so many useful JavaScript libraries out there for all kinds of things, right? If you wanted to use that in your GWT project, well, hopefully, hopefully someone else had already written a GWT wrapper for it because you have to write a Java API that wraps their API, API which is not a small task. Right. I mean, I looked at... Um, oh, there were, there were, I mean, so many different ones, but like there were, there were wrappers for like Google's charting API and there were wrappers for Bootstrap and... And these projects were huge. I'm like, wow, all this work because you're not writing natively in, in web technologies. And that's just a whole other layer of possible fail. It is, yeah. And so as, as amazing as GWT was, I mean, it was, that was an impressive project. It still, I mean, still, still exists. I mean, I think it's still kind of moving forward, but it's, it's not the future of the web. Um, uh, but, but again, and again, I mean, it solved, it solved that problem problem at that time, which is 10 years ago, I mean, the tools to build a full-on application in HTML JavaScript just weren't there. Well, now we have, I mean, the JavaScript technology alone, just the performance and security and tooling around mm-hmm. JavaScript is light years beyond where it was. Yeah. Um, you've got these languages layering over JavaScript. You've got transpiling. You've got tools that, you know, can do, you know, module splitting, code splitting or whatever. Um, testing is much better. And I mean, for better or worse, JavaScript as a language, it's just like, we know it better. We know how to deal with it more. There's tools now. I mean, um, modularizing JavaScript itself is much more advanced now. I don't know where I'm going with that, but. But yeah, we're, we're building big ass apps in, <clears throat> in JavaScript now. And I, I think, I think you can pop in the stack. What I, what, what got me into this was thinking, 
we've seen these generations of web frameworks, front-end web frameworks. Right. And I guess you could go back to GWT. That was kind of like one of the original ones. Like you didn't even ride in web technology. You wrote in this other technology and it would, con- the, you know, this magical system would convert it for you. You better pray that nothing goes wrong when that happens. <clears throat> but then you had, um, what were some of the first ones? I mean, even before Angular, um, Angular 1. Oh, crud. What was um, the Ember guys? What did they do before Ember? It was, um, Apple ended up buying them. They, uh, Coke, yeah. Uh, what was it? Uh, yes, it was something Coco or something, something was Coco, it? Coco, yeah. I remember. I yeah, remember, remember messing with that one. Yep. And and so that's got kind of the, you know Ember was kind of their next evolution of that. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and then you know Angular One, but, but now you have these you know like we're two or three generations into this now, and every time they get basically exponentially better. Right. So nowadays, if you're you know know how to build big apps and you know you you want to apply all your software engineering skills. I mean there's there's all kinds of tools and technologies to do it now and staying completely within web technologies. Yeah. It's nice. I mean they're portable. I, I you know I remember going back to probably probably at least 9 or 10 years when we were sitting around having lunch and we we're talking about this stuff and I was just very adamant that you're not going to want to build big applications on the web that you know that you were so anti web. The OS is where where it needed to be, and, and mainly because you know the OS has so many nice features. There's so many so many nice things to OS integration. You know, making an application that's native, you know, it performs better. It takes advantage of all the the things that the OS provides. You know, in, in terms of just productivity or, or you know what have you. And so I was still, I, and and the web really just wasn't coming close to any of that in no. terms of usability and ease of use and performance, particularly. Um, and even even. Even today, that's still an issue. I mean, I mean, look at Lightning and, and it's how, never going to be native, right? It's never going to be native. But right. I mean, look at the web APIs. Go to go to MDN, the Mozilla Developer Network, and they have this um, section called Web APIs. But it's it's everything, basically all the APIs that the browser support now. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, everything from you know SVG and animation stuff and uh, security stuff and file transfer stuff. I mean, there's so much um, media, all kinds of different media APIs built in. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I mean, I look at things like Electron and Atom, and just um, my mind's blown because yeah. that's all web technologies. And I remember a few years ago thinking I was going to try to get into that world because it, it, at some point it was early, but there was you know pe- a few people with the idea that they were going to try to compile, not just you know syntax highlight, but actually try to compile and you know do IntelliSense and all that, or not IntelliSense, um, context help and or whatever you want to call mm-hmm. it for whenever you're coding. And that was something I wanted to try and get into, but it was just the technology just wasn't there yet. And, you know, obviously there were smarter people than me that actually went out and built it, but. I don't even remember, you know, I feel I, like, <clears throat> I feel like Node snuck up on me. Um, no, Node changed a lot in terms of, you know, where that, where that technology can be used. Kind of, and this is, I don't know how, how long, many years ago this was, but I, 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 I do remember turning my nose up at it. I, I think I did too. <laughs> I mean, I, for the, for about a year, the only thing I did with Node is I, I, you know, I would use NPM to install some, I used some, some kind of command line, I don't even remember what they were, you know, utilities that were just, the only, that's the only way you could get them was via Node. I'm like, oh, I guess I got to install Node and NPM on my computer now. Right. And so for kind of a year, I think that's pretty much was my thing with that. But then I started, you know, it just became kind of the easiest way to do a lot of things. Yeah. And then I just started building stuff in Node. So, um, but yeah, this, some of these things, I mean, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm kind of curmudgeonly and sometimes 
sometimes these new things have to prove themselves to me before I, and I think some of that's just, I've, I've been, I've been at that point in my life, my career, whatever, where there's something really immature that pops up, or even maybe you think you're going to build this thing or whatever. And it's just, that's fun. And I'm glad people are doing that. But where I am, that's like, I, I feel like, I don't know if I have to feel like I don't have time for it. I don't have time to mess with it. You know, mm-hmm. I can't, I don't, I've got different responsibilities. I have different clients now. Like there's risk to consider. I mean, almost like going back to the technology radar, like, is that in one of my top, like either my for sure or exper- you know, safe to experiment with, or is it on my, yeah, don't even, don't even bother me with this yet. Let it, let it prove itself over the next two or three years before you even bring it up to me. Yeah. That's kind of where I am. I'm on my own technology radar. <laughs> I'm, I've become the conservative guy. Should we compile for next year a good day, sir, technology radar? <laughs> <laughs> oh, gosh. That, First that would, of all, are you willing to put the work in? And if you're willing to put the work in... That would in, be interesting. Well, we'll put it out to the to the Slack group and, and, and say, so what, it, vote if you want us to do that. So th- this is where we, like, <laughs> we get to categorize like what we think of triggers and visual force yeah. and apex and... Exactly. All right. Well, let's let's let me do my my update next. We'll, okay. we'll and then we'll get to the other stuff because we're running. Yes, we are running. Uh, so, Squid, Squid, Squid's got a new release coming up called Brooklyn. Brooklyn. And I um, I wish they'd picked a better name. I couldn't find anything funny. Yeah. <laughs> like, oh, bonsai. Yeah. <laughs> they came out with bonsai. We had that one. Yeah. I was excited. What was the last one? Um, I don't remember. I don't, I don't think I can find anything funny about the last one either. Give us funny names, guys. I know. What's this one called? <laughs> Brooklyn. I feel like it was some city thing last time too. Some kind of. I think it was. I yeah. think they're going to the cities. I don't know. I like bonsai. I like no sleep till. You know what? I wish I had thought of that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you blew that I one, John. I blew that one because that would have you know been what? perfect. We'll insert it in post. Okay, ready? Three, two. Oh, that was awesome, man. <laughs> they picked such an awesome name that you can have a sound like a song like that. It's such an, you know, iconic song. Yeah. Wow. And we got to wait. We got to wait for it because it's not ready yet. No. There is a beta program. All right. So give us it. the high point because this is, this is one of these segments where I, it's hard for me to follow. Like I'm, I'm like, oh, that's kind of interesting, but I don't understand what you're saying. <laughs> well, actually, you know what? This is going to be different for you because it was different for me. Okay. So the webinar, I'm, I'm, I'm actually going to provide some criticism here. You did the webinar. You sat I did, on it? I did the okay. webinar. sat on the webinar. I, um, I took a break from work, and I've, I, you guys know I've been really busy, and I've got hives to prove it. Yeah. I, I took time out of my day. I, I grabbed a ham sandwich. Actually, my, my loving wife, thank you very much, uh, made me a ham sandwich. You go. Good job, Because I was working Points. right up Points into earned. that. <laughs> right up into that. So I, I asked her for that, and she did. So I sat down. I had my lunch. I turned the webinar on. And I focused on it because I wanted to make notes and make sure that I covered, you know, all the different points so that I could talk about it. And what we got was more of a a press release than a webinar that showed off, you know, the features that were coming. You know, I didn't, I mean, there were some screenshots, it was a presentation, but we didn't get any kind of live demos with with the guys that actually built it like we usually do. Usually hmm. it's, the, you know, the guys that built it, they're in there. You think it's not ready webinar. or... No, I just think they had this different audience. They had this announcement they wanted to make. And I think they were really excited about the announcement. I think that overshadowed, you know, whatever they want, whatever they normally do for webinars. Yeah. Um, so, so I felt like we got more of a press release than a, than a traditional webinar that we've gotten them from before on all the new things that were going to be in it. I'm sure that's good feedback for them. So uh, maybe break it out into two things. I don't know. I don't know what the answer is, but yeah. I just, I didn't care for the format. You know, I, I, I want to see what we're going to get. I want to, I want to see it. I want to be excited about it. I want to understand it. 
In fact, I, I, I had so many questions that when they opened it up for questions, I was like, I don't know which question to even start with because it's going to, it's, it was more of a train of thought question. If, if this, then this, and if that, then what about this? And is that going to affect this? And am I going to have to review this? Yeah. You know, it was those type of questions. And I, I, I couldn't find a way to kind of put them in and put them not, out. Not conducive to a webinar situation. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so, so should I talk about the lesser announcements and then the bigger announcement? Let's just get to big. Let's get to big. All right. So the, so the big the big major announcement for Squid is that uh, they're going native, or what they're calling Squid native. And what it is, is is you'll be able to take Squid, put it on AWS, and run it uh, outside of Salesforce. So so for me, I, I think that's an interesting, and I, I called it great business. So it's just, it's a UI framework that can be used when Salesforce from Salesforce and can be used on other things. Right. To build. So, so they basically opened it up so that you can use it on other things. And where that, the the kind of seed of this was was the data sources that they started, they provided in previous releases. So they, they, they built this technology where you can connect to other data sources. And in fact, I remember them talking about it because they were a little concerned about how Salesforce might react to it because Salesforce was coming out with Connect and they were kind of coming out with their own version of Connect, which is, you know, you know, directly from within Squid, you can connect to other data sources and, Create models and of course create the, the, UIs squ- out of the this. squid charts forty grand for their connect. No, no. <laughs> <clears throat> no in fact, that, that that's what made them nervous. Yeah, because <laughs> they weren't charging forty grand for it. Um, so I think that was the seed of, of what what we see now is that you know now that they have these data sources and they they really put a lot of work into expanding those data sources. So you can, you know, they're they're saying that you know SAP. I think SAP was on that list. You know, Microsoft uh, products like OneDrive. Uh, Google Calendar, Google Drive. Uh, there, there's a full list of them. I'm not going to be able to list them all, but all these other technologies, all these other services that are that are available online, will be accessible to you as a data source. Did you? That was me. I had to send a. a I had to send the. I'm going to be late. <laughs> text. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> that came across on here. Yeah, I know. I, okay. It did. Okay. <laughs> Sorry. I thought it was my phone or something. So, anyways. So, so they, they've really expanded the data sources and, you know, hopefully once we start to get more information, we, we can start seeing how these are going to work and how they'll actually play out with these UIs. Um, but because they were able to open all those up, that means that, you know, you could move this offline. Salesforce could be one of those out external data sources and you don't necessarily have to be within Salesforce to run, run Squid. Um, I am curious about the underlying technology that they're using to make this work because from what I understand of Squid what we have today, it was, it was very much tied to Salesforce. It, it relied a lot on, you know, you know, visual force remoting calls and things like that to, to get some of the data. It's just an, it's just an API mechanism. It is. And, and most of the framework pretty much is client side. It's just that initial startup routine that, that kind of relied on that platform and had some hooks into it. And, and, you know, there are some other features in it that, that kind of depended on like the metadata, you know, that, that it had to access to figure out what type of field to, to, to render and those kind of things. So, I'm curious to to understand more from a lower level what changed. Um, my other concern is that I've built a lot of custom components, a lot of lightning-like custom components, a lot of, you know, just from scratch custom components. and Squid rever- components? Yeah. Okay. Reverse engineered how they were, you know, their builders and things like that to try to leverage that stuff. So I'm sure a lot of that's changed. It was undocumented, probably risky, unsupported yeah. stuff, but right. I did it and it worked and everyone was happy. So I need to see how that's going to be affected. 
Um, so, that, so that was the big news, so that, they, that you'll be able to run it natively. I didn't, we didn't get anything on pricing or anything like that, but I, I think it's encouraging. I think it puts them on a path to not be so dependent on Salesforce. It, it gives them kind of a, a way to step away from that and be a little more what, global is the right word. Um, yeah, I guess, yeah, just... Um... I mean, it, it makes them more of a, you know, a UI platform versus a, a app exchange app on... Yeah. Salesforce, mm-hmm. you know, it, it gives them, gives them a whole new world to play in. Right. And for those of, for those of us that are doing squid, you know, it kind of, if that takes off, you know, pretty well and does well for them, it could be well for those of us in the community who have been doing squid because now our customer base isn't just Salesforce. It could be dynamics. It could be, you know, you know, whoever else X, Y, Z that we can open you up too as a, exactly. as, as a squid I mean. expert. I feel like you're like this foremost squid expert. So now you no, can. There's, there's other people doing stuff. You can on be it. brought into I'm not, I'm not, um, other if other. If I was the lone wolf doing squid development, it wouldn't be. As, I didn't say <laughs> lone wolf. I'm just saying you know, like you have a lot of experience with it and have pushed it. You know, done, I, I done have, interesting I, things. Pushed, I have pushed, pushed the boundaries really hard and done some really interesting things. So I'm I'm, I'm always really excited about what it comes out because I will tell you, even even getting into <laughs> lightning, I still enjoy doing squid more than I do lightning. You know, even even for the way I customize and write components, even though it's not all documented and I'm kind of kind of just kind of reverse engineering and building it myself, the stuff I'm able to do with that is is much nicer than I can do with, with lightning at yeah, this point. That's why squid is a thing. Right. So Lightning's not the only game in town, although for certain types of things it's it, it that's the only way to do things, but right. if you've got options, yeah. Um so so I'll go I'll just go through a really fast bullet list of some of the changes that that um that I noted. Um, there weren't too many because, because again, they, they rushed it to get to that announcement. But one of the big ones for me is, is the table component is getting a lot better. Um, it's supposed to be able to support user settings. So the users will be able to kind of pick and choose what fields they want to show, which will be, which will be really nice. Um, also the, you able to conditionally render columns on it. So today the columns are what they are. You can't say, show this column if X, Y, Z and not. So a lot of times what we've had to do is create multiple tables for different, mainly for profiles. So if we have a profile that needs to see a certain amount of data, another profile that doesn't need to see that much data and, or maybe sees, needs to see different data, but they're both using the same page, your option is either two pages or two tables and show and hide one or the other. Um, so they're bringing that down. Um, they're supposed to have some better Lightning UI compatibility uh, in terms of their components. Uh, another big one is they're unifying the the mobile and desktop uh, builders. Uh, and, and I think what it is, they're basically going to a responsive layout so that you'll build a better support for responsive layout. They've had kind of responsive components, but I think, again, I haven't seen it, but again, they'll, they'll build, you'll be able to build your layouts so that they work for mobile and for desktop versus having to create two separate pages. And in some scenarios that could work in other scenarios, it just depends on your situation. Yeah. But but I've already been trying to massage Squid into being more responsive. So this is very welcome for me because that should be less work for me. Um, and then they also came out with a, a couple of new components. Uh, they kind of glossed over them. I didn't get to see them. So but that's what we have. That's Brooklyn. That's interesting. It reminds me of what are, the, what are these some of these other like commercial um, UI frameworks? Sencha, right? Ken, uh, Sencha. Kendo or... Yeah, is that what it's Kendo? called? Um, Kendo they're UI. kind of in, they're kind of entering that world. I, th- I think they are. Yeah, but but at the same time, I think um, those things. Well, I guess ext Sencha. That's Sencha, right? Yeah, yeah. Sencha Sencha does offer more than just kind of UI components. They offer a whole framework and everything around that. I'm not sure. I think Kendo is mainly just UI components, though, isn't it? I feel like you're probably right. right. 
Yeah, so I think they're more of a, I think they're venturing into being more of a Sencha competitor than than anything. Yeah. So, I don't know. I, cool. enjoy, I enjoy the tech, so yep. I'm excited. All right, well, we're uh, we're running long, so let's get into the this discussion about this whole trigger model, and is it good or is it bad? Is it, you know, what's wrong with it? <clears throat> so, so, so what's the argument? Well, okay, so I think we should start out by saying that the arguments, there's some subtlety to them, some nuance, and, you know, this is one of those things where everyone approaches this type of topic from from their own experiences. Like, everyone's looking through, you know, lenses colored by their own experiences. And mm-hmm. <clears throat> so to some people, like something may seem completely normal. And other people are like, what are you crazy? You do it that way? You know, that's just one of those things. Um, you know, th- we had a lot of interesting opinions and, and I, I actually blame this all on Jay, Jay, Jen Arthur. And, um, because he started Damn this, it, I know. Damn Jay. <laughs> <laughs> so he's, he's having some discussion with someone and they, they, they were telling him that, you know, you should never use triggers. And I'm like, are, are they, is that what they said? Yeah, you yes. should never use triggers. I'm like, well, how do you, I mean, in the in Salesforce, how do you get anything done if you don't use trigger? I mean, it's it's kind of like the mechanism for implementing well, for automation. Yeah, yeah, just for implementing all types of stuff. And um, the guy, you know, so I kind of asked Jay about it. And he said the guy said to use a data layer for every object, <clears throat> and that should take care of everything a trigger should do. And my response was like, okay, I mean. So what he's saying is use triggers, but in the trigger, I guess you know that that should you should then call into some kind of no, that's some not kind of business saying. logic or something. Well, no, that's no. what I thought he said. No, but. he's saying put a, a data layer in front of Salesforce. So anytime you need to insert something, it goes through your class, and then if you need to do something with that, you you do your pre-processing, and then you do your okay. Your insert so once someone Salesforce. goes to the account tab and they click new and they fill out their account details and hit save, how do I get them to call into that? How do I get to call into that? You can't. You can't. Right, can't do that. Salesforce. That's that's exactly right. Um, you can't do this with Salesforce. Hey, you can't do that, and that, and that's that's actually what prevents. When I talk about you know, and and this is one of those things. I I tend to call it like a domain model, mm-hmm. but some people you know, some people call it a business layer. I think that term's actually older. I mean, I think domain driven design. Eric Evans came in and. And you know his seminal book. When was that? From like two thousand three or something on on domain driven design. And it it really there's already the idea of layered layered application architecture. I mean, for enterprise applications, layered architecture has been a thing for you know much longer than that. Domain driven design. Eric Evans comes in and and really builds on some of the stuff that Martin Fowler did with patterns of enterprise application architecture. But I, I think went further than Martin did and really talked about not just the software patterns you're using, but also how you communicate these things, how you work on projects, how do you build. <clears throat> and, I, and and again, this is not, you don't do this, these types of things for a 40-hour in-and-out project. This is for projects that last years, systems that last, they're going to be used for years, mm-hmm. that probably are going to, you know, easily thousands, thousands of person hours, um, you know, probably multiple team members. And, and it's one of those things where, you know, you it takes a lot of collaboration between different teams in an organization to hash out the logic to build the domain and what Eric Evans calls the ubiquitous language. Right. I mean, that's the one thing that you know I know I harp on all the time is you know ubiquitous language and and making sure we're calling things the right thing. And that's one of the things you I think you learn 
as a software developer too, that I don't think it's apparent at first. But after you've built enough systems, it's just like you realize that naming things is really, really important. <clears throat> well, I get anxiety naming things because of it. I, yeah, and and also, don't be afraid to rename things. That's that's kind of a corollary to that. It's like well, I'm afraid to rename things because I can't refactor. Well, easily. and it's again, it's kind of hard on the on the Salesforce platform to rename things. But <clears throat> you know, traditional system. I mean, I'll refactor. I mean, every time I realize oh, yeah. oh, that's that, and when I named that class, I thought I was going to be doing this, but it it really has kind of changed and does this other thing. I will right. Yeah, stop right there and rename that thing. You know. <clears throat> because if you don't, then you're built. You're just you're you're losing your conceptual integrity of the system, right? And domain-driven design does not allow that. It's like it is very much about you know establishing the ubiquitous language. And, by, and I'm, I wish I had you know official definitions in front of me, but ubiquitous language is basically just the idea that you know the terminology that the developers use is the same terminology that the admins use and and the domain experts. So let's say you're building a system that launches rockets, right? Mm-hmm. Well, you have to, the software developers have to work with the rocket engineers to understand how the software should work, right? And those rocket engineers are going to be explaining all this stuff. They're going to be whiteboarding stuff and looking at diagrams and explaining to them how these things work and how these different types of concepts fit together and how they interact with each other and what events happen and how they can send messages to each other. Mm-hmm. And you've got to build up a, cons- a consistent, ubiquitous language around all this stuff. Right. And and it's kind of a meeting of two different worlds because you have the real world, like the physical world, rockets and stuff and mathematical language and all these things. And you have the software world and it's software is always limited by like the certain language you're using or the framework. And so, and sometimes you have to, you, these two two different, I mean, it's not even just two, these multiple teams of people have to work together. Like, <clears throat> okay, I see that you've said that this thing calls this into this and does this. Well, <clears throat> you know, in, the, in this platform we're working on, you can't exactly do that. Would it... Would it make sense if we kind of had it do this instead? Would that still work? And so you're, this is not great examples, but you're you're figuring out how these things can all flex to come together right. to build something that is conceptually whole. And when a rocket engineer looks at the code the developer's writing, they can act, they can pretty much tell what that does. You know, you can read th- through that code, and and when when a bug comes up or when the new feature goes to be implemented, they sit down and they figure it out, and they're all using the same language. Um, but there's a lot of other stuff. So that's just ubiquitous language. But there's all kinds of other concepts that go into you know enterprise applications, and in particular domain-driven design. And <clears throat> and and you know when you think about a layered architecture, I mean typically like you've you've got like the most external layer is a service layer, and that's what you can think of concentric circles, and the outermost circle is a service layer. Anything wanting to affect this system has to go through that service layer. So right. you got an API out here somewhere that is listening on some HTTP. HTTP port and it takes a request mm-hmm. and it wants to do something, it's got to call into the service layer now. And there's some method called fire a rocket, right? Right. Now it doesn't it doesn't get access to all the domain internals, right? But that event then fires up, not to mix my metaphors here, um, <laughs> um, the, the the next inner layer, which is the domain layer. And that's, you know, in a typical like, you know, let's say an Apex you know, Salesforce system, that's all your Apex classes. <clears throat> That would not only represent entities, so like you know, accounts and contacts. I mean, those are all in a, in the domain-driven design language. Those are all entities, right? They're things mm-hmm. that have relationships to things and and contain lists of other things and can do things and have rules on how many they can have and and write all these rules and policies and things, right? That's your domain layer, right? And so the service layer calls in the domain layer and says, uh, you know, it 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 asks for. An instance of a rocket launcher, right? And so now you're now you're in 
now you're in your domain. You got rocket launchers, you got rockets, you got fuel, you've got, I don't know, boosters, right? You've all these different things. And this is where all the logic that makes this system work and stay and make sure that all invariants mm-hmm. are withheld and all rules are followed and, and things stay conceptually correct. <clears throat> it all right. happens in that code. And this is code, right, in, in this type of system. And then once it's done, it needs to, I mean, in a, you know, in a typical enterprise system, the, next, the kind of last thing you do is, okay, now we need to save this stuff back to whatever our storage mechanism is. And it's usually a database, but it could be all kinds of things. Who knows what, right? Mm-hmm. And so the next inner circle is a data layer, right? And if you look at, you know, any of these given rings, they only know kind of about, they, they only know about the layer that's w- one under them. Mm-hmm. Right? They don't know about the layers that are calling them that are outside of them. It's just right. again, kind of a typical layer design. But you know, the persistence is the last thing, that, that data layer. And the data, layers, data layer is responsible for taking these entities and saying, okay, how do I write this back to some kind of storage mechanism? Um, and in kind of modern technology, the, a typical thing would be like an, an ORM, an object mm-hmm. relational mapper. <clears throat> With an ORM, something like Hibernate or many of these other ones, your domain entities, which are, again, classes, that have methods and functionality, everything, they also, all their fields get mapped to tables and columns and things into the database. Mm-hmm. And these ORMs nowadays are really advanced. So when you say, get me this account, right? Right. So the ORM is going to get you this, it's going to give you in memory, this object, this account object, right? Right. And you can do stuff to it and add some contacts or in the case of rocket launchers, you know, fire some things off and add fuel to them and whatever. And when you're done, I mean, the way that you write these applications nowadays, you, you don't even, you, when you look at your domain code, you don't even see any persistence. You don't see any calls to save because nowadays with things like the Spring Framework and it's doing all this byte code weaving and it's handling transactions. You, you define transaction boundaries, but that's it. I mean, it knows that when, basically when this method is done, that's when, you know, because of byte code weaving and, and, and JVM um, uh, instrumentation of things, um, it it knows that okay that's ended and now I need to look at these objects that are that are in memory here and figure out what changed and it's actually been tracking them because it gave you these these objects that it gave you these entities are kind of like proxies and they're they've right. got they've got this magically functionality added to them to track all the changes you've made and it's the it's the unit of work pattern in fact um Andy I think it's Andy um Andy Fawcett maybe mm-hmm. yeah that's one of the patterns that yep. now it's really again on on apex it's really kind of obtuse and difficult to work with right i mean sometimes sure it's worth it on apex because typically now nowadays with modern technology you, the, you don't even see the unit of work i mean it's there that's kind of the pattern that these orms have implemented but you don't have to mess with it at all it's just once you're done and um, you know this method is done the the orm then takes everything and persists it back to the database mm-hmm. and also like you know if it gives you an account and you say um uh, I want to go through those contacts. You know, actually, you're, you, know, you access the contacts. It might be firing off quick database calls to get those things. So in the Salesforce world, you know, you've got a, you've got a, um, you know, name every when you do a SQL query, you've got to name every field you want, and you've got to also include any, all these subqueries. You get child records, and you know, you're encouraged to do all that at once. Do it. Try to do it in the you know biggest single query you can. The downside of that is that puts a lot more stuff in memory that you may or may not use. Mm-hmm. So when you set up the ORM and define your mappings and everything, you can say, well, go ahead and just, when you, anytime you get a contact, prefetch, prefetch the, the contact, or when you get an account, prefetch the contacts. Or you can define this all different ways. And if you decide, well, no, don't, pre, don't prefetch the contacts because some of these accounts have thousands of contacts. And so that would just be way too much memory. Fetch them on demand. But anyway, once you, def- once you set that up, 
I mean, there's you're not doing any of these queries or anything. This is just happening happening for you automatically. There's this communication between the system and, and the database. Mm-hmm. Um, but this is all to say that when you build out your business logic, your domain layer, um, that domain layer again is, is what's responsible for keeping everything for responding to these events. New, you know, new records, you know, kind of an an a, a request. I'll say a request for a new record or something to be happened, something to you're affecting your domain in the Salesforce world. Like I mean, like everything, all the stuff in your Salesforce org that is kind of your domain, right? All these requests to change the domain come through this these layers, and it's only at the very end, once all the logic and the and the validations and the, everything has happened, that at the end, the, then the system says, okay, now persist that to the database. Mm-hmm. Okay, so that's the model that most enterprise apps are written in. And there's variations of it. There's all kinds of different systems besides DDD, and um, it's just DDD has gotten you know I think it's the most one of the most prevalent ones, and also DDD. I mean you know there's there's definitely areas where it doesn't apply, and like we definitely should. I mean like for example like web scale. I mean if you're going to write a Twitter for example, mm-hmm. you don't every time someone tweets you don't fire up this big domain. I mean things are very right. like it's surgically. There's a lot of surgical code in Twitter that's as efficient as possible. You're not loading some big domain model into memory, right. right? And so, but I'm just talking about your typical enterprise application. They might have thousands of users, but but not millions of users. Um, and then we have the Salesforce model of when someone wants something to happen, or when the system wants something to happen, it actually goes right to the database. Like it literally doesn't. It starts a transaction with the database, makes an insert statement. And then you get notified with via your trigger that hey, someone just inserted something into the database. How would you like to react to that? Mm-hmm. And of course, us traditional programmers—I don't even say traditional because I think I didn't get into DDD and stuff until after I—I I was already in Salesforce. But people from the, you know the the other school of enterprise application school thought we were like, what? What? What do you mean you just started inserting something into the database without going through all these important layers? But so you're looking at it from from a, from a software application perspective, and if you look at it from a database perspective, I mean, we've had triggering store procedure kind of events that we've been responding Absolutely. to. Absolutely. I think it was Jay or someone said that, you know, in my previous gigs or whatever, like we were always avoided. You, you always avoid any of that um, database-specific, like proprietary stuff. Right. Triggers, um, even, even to some degree stored procedures. Um, you want to stay, and, and there's all kinds of reasons. One, it tie, does tie you to that database because mm-hmm. the languages are inevitably like proprietary. Right. Um, but also, it's harder to test. I mean, it's way easier to test application code. Oh yeah, than it is to test database yeah. code. So for Not all to mention that complexity you add on top of it, when something fails, it, it it's failing. Right, and and now moving. and now you have more places to go look to figure out what right. what could possibly go wrong. So um, so yeah, you, you're absolutely right. I mean, we've had we've had database triggers forever. Um, but in Salesforce, I mean, I guess my complaint here is that in Salesforce, I mean, triggers is the only way. And again, you're notified that, hey, someone just inserted something into the database. Like, do you want to kill that? Are you okay with that? Or do you want to modify it in, modify it in flight? Mm-hmm. And, and it's just, it's jarring. It's mind jarring that it, it seems like, I, it seems like I've been so, vi- I've been violated. You hit my database <laughs> without going through my layers. <laughs> and now I'm violated. Unless you're used to being at that lower level, then it seems natural. Then it seems like, okay, something's happening. I need to either validate this or or modify it slightly to to fit the the rules of the system. 
Um, or worst case, uh, you're you're uh, triggering more transactions or creating and, more transactions. And I guess the thought is, okay, okay, yeah, you got to figure out if you if you're a trigger, like what? Okay, wow, you just inserted something. Do I need to? What do I do here? Do I need to? Is this okay? I mean, do I cancel that? Do I somehow undo that? And by and also, is this the first trigger, or am I four stacks down in recursive trigger calls? Mm-hmm. I mean, and now you're in the now you're in the land of. I mean, I'm a, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm not the, I'm, I, I, I don't know how to say this. I, I know way smarter software engineers than myself, a lot of them, okay? But I'm not bad, and I've been doing this a while. Um, toot, toot. Th- these triggers, no, I'm, I'm trying to, <laughs> trying to be, I, you know, trust me, I know people that are way smarter than me, good program circles around me. But, um, but I'm competent in this. I'm competent, right? Yeah. Something, you can get in these trigger situations where I, I'm just like, I give up. I have no idea what's going on. It's like all this layers nested deep. You've got managed packages that are also triggering, kicking things off that you can't control. And you can't, that's, that's a situation where some people say, well, just um, just use a trigger framework and only have one trigger. Well, you're not the only, I mean, do you have no packages installed? Yeah. I mean, this is just, it's not that easy. I mean, it's, it's, it's that's not a really, that's not a realistic, realistic uh, situation. No, it's not. And it, even to that point, I, I'm not so sure uh, we talked about this before when it comes to frameworks because I, I asked the question, you know, I, I'm, I'm seeing some, I have some pain points with these triggers. You know, I'm, I have some, I, one, I would love to unify, you know, how we're building triggers and, and try to standardize that. And two, is there anything out there that's going to help kind of orchestrate this in a much better way? But what I found was it was just more bloat on top of bloat and it was just these immense amount of abstractions um, that, that didn't seem to be adding enough value for me to go that route when it came to some of these frameworks, because technically those layers are already there. You're responding to this event that's happening. You know, I use the example of, of a dispatcher, the dispatcher pattern that people were, were wanting to layer on top of it, but I'm like, okay, so your, your final implementation of that pattern looks exactly like the trigger. So what's the point between, between these two? Why not just use the trigger as, as this mechanism and then put your code on, yeah. on top of that? Well, and again, back into the getting getting yourself into a trigger situation that it's hard to get out of, um, you know, and and again, a lot of this can be avoided with a lot of experience and and wisdom and 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 you know, as you like to call them, best practices or or whatever. I mean, there's there's ways to keep yourself from getting into a lot of trouble, but even on, I mean, on a non-trivial system, it's it's actually hard, and you can get yourself into situations where like you hit the SQL limit, and it turns out it's because You've got somebody inserts something in the database. Mm-hmm. You had a trigger that came, oh, oh, he inserted something. Well, shit, I, I need to insert this other thing. So it inserts this other thing. Turns out there's a, somebody put a trigger on that. Mm-hmm. And now you've got these things bouncing back and forth. And, and sometimes, well, of course, you get the worst case scenario is like there's an infinite recursion, right? Well, the, but, they, they, that used to be able to happen. And then uh, I think after the first release of it, they added the limiter. The SQL limit? No, no. The triggers will only fire a max of Oh, four, there's a de- max I depth? Think, yeah, okay. I think four times. So you're either going to hit that or you're going to hit a SQL limit, right. one of the two. Um, and now you have to figure out, uh, like I said, I mean, the worst case is there's just, it's unlimited a back and forth thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's also much more complex situations where these triggers actually do check to, for a, a stop condition, right? Mm-hmm. So maybe the second trigger, it says, hmm, I'm being fired, but have I already run like, 
are we now one layer further down in the stack and I already ran and I should just stop? Or have we finally met a condition in which I don't need to run anymore, so I'm not going to... I'm not going to update that account again mm-hmm. so that that account trigger doesn't fire, right? Right. But this can, I mean, I'm, I'm describing a simple situation, but I mean, magnify that times a real realistic scenario with tons of objects and triggers and everything. And it's, it can take, you can get yourself a situation that takes months. I've been, I've been on projects where we spent months unwinding triggers and workflows. And, yeah, this, and this, by the way, this is before you add any process builder, any of those other things, right? you know? But I, I think, I think, what you're describing isn't so much the the one guy who sat down to build a system and and got himself into trouble because I think I don't think that's the issue. I think the issue is that you have multiple people developing on this system and they're all trying to do different things. That, that's and it's, that's part it's, of it. So what you're it's, what you're it's, saying it's a factor is factor of time. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So what you're saying is it's not necessarily the essential design of the system that's bad. The the, the architecture. It's that you just got people that aren't coordinating. Exactly. They're, okay. Yeah. And and that ha- that that is a compounding factor. I'll I'll grant you that. However, when the mechanism for developing on this is responding to database inserts that are happening, you, you are kind of, by definition, siloed. You're, you're kind of siloed. I mean, especially if you're multiple recursions deep in this. I mean, you're responding to the fact that a contact was inserted. But the reason that contact was inserted was because this account was inserted and this opportunity got updated and this contract was created. And it's like, you just have this low little contact trigger. And all you need to do is all you need all you want to do is update some roll up summary on the account because that's contract was you know but what you don't realize is because there's all this side these triggers are all siloed I mean as much as you can try to tie them together and you know use good design practices it's it's the fundamental reactionary model of triggers mm-hmm. that has got you hamstrung so so let's let's um I, I agree but let's let's pop the stack so what what started this original argument what what was what was the goal or pain point that they were trying to solve for? Well, or was okay. it just a general so, argument that occurred that in the statement, the, just the statement in, in general of don't use triggers? I, th- I think I started in one of my tirades about, you know, you should be using a damn domain model, you know? That, that's, that's the problem is this whole trigger <laughs> thing. And that's when, you know, Chuck Liddell um, joined in the, in the conversation, the Salesforce consultant, not the MMA fighter. And, or at least I, I think. <laughs> he's, he's got a secret double life. <laughs> exactly. And, you know, he was, he asked some really good questions. I, th- I think he's coming more from the steeped in Salesforce um, background. And he's like, hey, this, you know, this kind of, I don't know, this trigger, whole trigger system seems to work well for me and it makes sense. And, you know, tell, I mean, and he's, I think, very like, um, sincerely asking, like, what's, what's wrong with this? Mm-hmm. And that's, what, that's why I wanted to preface this whole conversation with, like, a lot of this just comes from what, what your background is, what you're used to. You, you can design systems well in this in this triggering model, I, I think it's a lot harder. But you certainly can, you know, there's there, there's a huge difference between what a good developer builds in Salesforce and what a not so good developer builds in Salesforce. I mean, there's there's a lot of opportunity to to build good a good system. But I, I actually wrote some of his questions. So I, I mean, let me just read a couple of these off here. All right. So what he said was, you know, he says I'm not saying I love triggers, but I'm looking for like a clear articulation or an argument of why something different should be in place and what that thing looks like. He says, um, you know, calling like in a trigger context, calling add error on an, on one of your S object records at least delegates control a bit because who whoever called originally made this DML call can do all or none to decide for themselves if they want a single record to fail or not. Mm-hmm. Um, I will stop and say though that that in and of itself takes control away from 
whatever your code is that's currently executing, something above it in a previous recursion decided whether or not it was something was all or none. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and he says, you know, you can add a trigger framework um, where you have a single handler on the object, which we already talked about why that yeah. may not be possible. Um, he said, what's the problem here? I mean, what specifically are the problems with this? And is it possible to address them somehow? And, and really, I mean, I think the bottom line is like, Salesforce, I mean, it's a Turing complete system. You can build within certain limits, file upload as an example, like anything on it. I mean, mm-hmm. it's, it's, a, it's a Turing complete language. The, the question is, is when you're building a non-trivial system, what, you know, what gives you better, understandable, maintainable, future-proof, a future-proof, solid, conceptually whole, conceptually um, cohesive and understandable mm-hmm. a, a DDD style system or one of these trigger reactionary systems? Well, see, and, so, so here's, here's the thing. I, I think the mentality has to switch because I think we're, we're expecting these, these paradigms to translate directly to Salesforce, but Salesforce is a closed proprietary system. And, and you're, if you're going to build a large complicated system and you want to do DDD or whatever, what you have is if, if you have a big circle, you have the world, and that's the big circle, and that's Salesforce. Your stuff is actually a smaller circle inside of it. Yeah. And, and if you want to do this and package this a certain way, that means you have your own service layer. And your tr- the trigger mechanism is actually calling into your service layer, and then you handle your yes. layers within it's that. Like, Yo, dog, I heard you like service layers, so I, <laughs> I put a service layer on your service layer. <laughs> but that's what you have to do. You have to isolate yourself in that way, you have to build your own wall, build your own little castle within Salesforce and do that. Um, but that's going to take coordination. That's going to take effort, coordination, and you know, and to build that and to understand those concentric circles that exist. Yeah. Now, it, it, what what the the what really happens in the world today is that you know we have a bunch of people developing, and there's a, there's a time factor. You know, you know, I built something. Five years ago, someone else came in and built something two years after that, and then someone else came something built. And so all this stuff is compounding because we we had this very small requirement and we built it as efficient and timely as we could for that one requirement. And then the next one comes and the next one comes and then it all starts to compound. And then all of a sudden we realize we've got a problem here. We need to reorganize this somehow. And I think that's what we're starting to see with a lot of these things. It's not so much the it's possible, but it's not so much the the guy that's coming in on a fresh org and trying to build a really big system. I think those guys understand what they need to do and and how to coordinate and how to build their layers. Oh, I think ideally. that's questionable. Ideally, right? But I think the bigger issue what we're seeing with a lot of a lot of Salesforce is the fact that we have these this so many different things building being built at different times using different methodologies. I'll say sure. I mean, sure. I mean, I'll look. I'll look back at a system that I've I've been in developing in for like three years or probably four or five years. But I remember when I first started on that project, it was just a few automation routines. It was a few triggers. Um, It was a few things. And, you know, yeah, I I mean, probably probably didn't build a data layer for it. Didn't build, you know, just kind of hit the database and you do your thing. You write your trigger and you make everyone happy and you you, you charge them as as little as you can to do it and you move on. I will embarrass myself and say I had logic in the trigger class. Yeah, Yeah. Okay. In fact, I think at that point in time, I even had my test method in the trigger class. Because oh. you could do that back then. Well, now, now you just moved out a notch in my in my book. <laughs> it was when when it's a when it's a really simple, quick requirement, and you're and you don't want to create another class. <laughs> don't, don't tell me you coded it in the dev console. No, okay, no, I, I did not. 
I was I, I was using Eclipse at the time. <laughs> I mean, I don't. Have, but I, I look, don't. I look back. I don't at have that. to pull out my. Uh... I look back at that and I cringe. I, I look back at that stuff and I cringe. But I see I see that stuff happening today. I think, but but, but I think back then we didn't know better. I think today mm. we know better about some of this stuff. Well, the, okay, you're talking about an evolution that any and everybody goes through. Right, exactly. And and you're talking about something that applies, I think, equally, no matter what the architecture of the system is. I mean, I don't care whether you're doing DDD or the, the trigger thing or anything else. Like, you, you're always going to have the, you could always have the problem of later developers come in, they don't understand the system as well, so they do things kind of their way, and then you start, the whole thing, you know, it's just entropy applies and you lose control. Right. I, I mean, that, you agree that applies to, I mean, that's, it doesn't matter what your system is. I mean, that's always going to be a problem if you don't, if you don't uh, act against that. It's always going to be a force. I, I think for me in bringing that up is more of an awareness campaign that, you know, we, we should be evolving with this platform. We, we should be wow. taking these lessons learned. John's awareness campaign. <laughs> Why is that? It's an awareness campaign. I feel like I have a... Because um... I, I, I agree with you. This is going to happen. It's going to continue to happen as people move in and out of a project and there's no coordination. There, there's no... You know, someone's not going in and read, taking the time to read someone else's code to understand, you know, what the tone of that system is, I guess I'll say. Um, and I think, I think as we start to build, move on to new things and build new things, we should be conscious of this stuff and we should be designing things in a way and we should be estimating and planning for these things so that hopefully as, as this becomes, as this one little trigger project turns into a massive build out of huge functionality that, that maybe we've, we've set things up to succeed. Yeah. This PSA brought to you by John de Santiago. Do we have a... <laughs> <laughs> I was going to ask if we had that. One. <laughs> um, let's see what else do you have. Um, yeah. So just the, the whole ad error thing, I'm asking my comment on that. It's, 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 yes, you can do that. It's awkward and confusing. You've also already, you've already started using up your DML statements, your SQL queries, yeah. Whereas in the kind of layered architecture model, like that's the last thing that happens is the insert and the update and the lead statements and their and their final ones. Right. Um, let's say he says, you know, add error, at least they'll get some control. And I said again, if, if you're deciding at a low level, like database insert level, what should be accepted or rejected, I mean, um, why would you even bother with database inserts if you actually aren't going to end up being inserting this if you're rejecting all these things? It's just a it's just a very odd place to put your it's like, um, and Jay pointed out a good thing too, like you don't use exceptions for flow control. Like exceptions in programming languages, most of them should be used for exceptional situations because they're actually very expensive. Mm-hmm. I mean, they have, he has to keep all the stack information when you throw an exception in, at yeah. least on, I know in Java, like yeah, so generally all the stack trace information, it's it's a thousand times slower than like an if statement is. And right. I don't think I'm exaggerating. No, you're not. Um, so it's just, you know, you're just not, you're not supposed to do that. I mean, and there's, if you do, you're going to, you're, kind of fighting the system there. Right. Um, let's see. And then about, you know, just add, have a trigger framework, only have one trigger. Well, you know, again, if you have packages and that, that you can't do that in, uh, I don't know. But anyway, uh, just some of my notes, my thoughts, so I, I just that I jotted down before we started here. You know, the, this whole model, it leads to just lots of inefficient, um, inefficiently tested transactions and triggers, lots of dupli- duplicative queries, Yep. Because everything's bouncing back, bouncing back and forth and you know, you fire off some other trigger. Well, it's got to query some stuff to find out. And, and because it 
And even if that stuff is already in memory somewhere, or some other trigger used, I mean, you've, you've got to, this thing's got to query it too. And let, you know, you could come up with some kind of an ORM of your own or like a, do we already have contact XYZ in memory? If so, give me, you know, but very complicated if yeah. you know, to try to do something like that. And again, you're, I mean, I think the number one thing is your logic is just spread out in an incoherent way. I mean, not to mention the fact that you also have things like validation rules, workflow updates, process builders, flows and things. I mean, that just makes it even worse. I mean, mm-hmm. tracking, understanding your logic. I mean, again, un, having ubiquitous language and being able to understand the system, comprehend the system becomes really difficult when your stuff is spread out like that. Um, what else? I don't know. I mean, I knew that was going to be a long topic and I probably did a horrible job of explaining DDD and everything else, but I, I tried. And hopefully Chuck and everybody else that makes some sense. Again, I don't think there's an absolute right or absolute wrong way to do it, just in my opinion. Well, that, that trigger model, it's, it's, it's laborious and it's, it's, it's hard to, even with all these, and I know the best practices. I mean, I've been doing, you know, I'm, I'm kind of big on this, this stuff. Um, it's but still it, just, to me, not, it's not near as uh, just the sound of a design as, as others. Yeah, but I, I'll, I'll, um, I'll be on Chuck's side and I'll, I'll ask, you know, what what would what would you do different? How would you build that? What and what would that look like? Well, it wouldn't use triggers as the way of invoking domain code. It wouldn't use database triggers. Again, I mean, what what would it look like? Would it would it be some kind of library that you put in place to? Well, there's a, there's a couple ways. So, or? for example, let's let's say that if there was a way that when I go back to my example, if someone goes to the account tab, they hit new, they type in the name, they hit save, right? Mm-hmm. Okay, now what happens? Well, right now what happens is Salesforce starts a database insert. Mm-hmm. In the transaction, what I'd like to have happen is maybe I expose some callback that Salesforce calls and says, hey, someone just populated this account and hit the save button and just let me run with it. Now I can fire up my domain. I can do all my things. I can get all my things in order. And at the end, if I have a good ORM, I can say, okay, the result of that, put that in the database. And you don't have to have triggers because everything was handled in your domain, in your business layer. But if you're going right to the data, if you're punching through right to the database and saying, boom, somebody just inserted an account, deal with that. And they run off. <laughs> it's like a, that's, a, that's the equivalent of a database drive-by. <laughs> it's very rude. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, we, we call it a trigger, but who's to say that's not what, hap- is it, what it, happens? It is, it is. Not, not only is it conceptually that what it is, but I think that actually is what it is. Really? I think so. It is what it is, John. <laughs> Oh man, this is not a solved discussion. I'm sure. <laughs> I'm just, but I'm I'm fine with leaving it where it is. Are you? I wanted to say one other quick thing, and just just about data tools. I'm, I'm kind of in the mid data migration. I don't do data migrations very often. I think you said you don't either anymore. Yeah, not anymore. Um, but I kind of enjoy them. There's something nice about data migrations, at least ones that aren't horrible, because um, I've definitely been in, involved in horrible data migrations, but. But I, there's something I like about them because you know you get you get all the source data and in this case it's it's not it's not bad data it's from actually a decent database but it's it's actually from a one of these legacy you know like 1970s 1980s systems yeah and so like all the all the field names are you know capitalized eight characters and you have no idea what any of them mean and there's millions of like lookups and joins and weird mm-hmm. all kinds of crazy stuff and I think I told you just the just the account just the, the query I had to do to build an account table to load in the accounts in Salesforce was, I think, over 40 joins or like uh, over half a dozen like self-joins, you know? 
Um, but what's great is like I get to build out these, you know, nice, and I'm using, so I used, you know, I, I used to use my, uh, my scale more, but now, I mean, I've switched to Postgres a while back. Always use Postgres. I get all the, you know, get all the data in the Postgres. Then, I, then I'm in Postgres land and I just, they're just a great, such a great database system. It's, mm-hmm. um, but I can write, you know, this really nice query that does a Herculean task. One query of bringing this crap together from all over the database into, and it's just a select into, basically, into an accounts table, a Salesforce yep. accounts table, right? And it's repeatable. I can, it's, it's idempotent, right? I can, I can keep running it over and over until I get it right. Mm-hmm. Um, but one thing I struggled with, I used to use a tool called Aqua Data Studio, and it's one of these kind of database explorer tools, kind of like SQL Enterprise Manager, but, right. but for, it can, it's a Java program, but it's actually a really well done Java program. Um, but, and it can, so it's JDBC, it can connect to almost any data source. And I used to have, I used to have it. I mm-hmm. paid for it. It was $600. And that license lasts a year. And I don't do data migrations very often. So I, I didn't, haven't used it in the two or three years. And I, and I could have done it. I could actually, I could have done a trial with him. It's a 14 day trial, I think. But I was like, yeah, I don't know if I want to spring for 600 bucks for this. I'm probably not going to use it that much. So I'm looking around and there's some of these that have been around forever. There's Squirrel and some of these other ones. They're kind of horrible. Yeah. Um, and again, Aqua Data Studio is really nice. But I did find one. I just wanted to share this called, and I love the name, D-Beaver. D-Beaver. <laughs> <laughs> and so I don't know if you pronounce that like D-Beaver or D-B-Ever, but it's D-Beaver. D-Beaver. Yeah, I'd say D-Beaver. But it's, and again, it's, it's written in Java, which the, the upside of that is it runs on every platform. It, it's JDBC because it can connect to anything, any database you can imagine, any, any flat file source you can imagine. The downside is probably ugly. It's not near as bad as like Squirrel is and some of these others. It's it's not it's not horrible. It's actually a an eclipse. It's built on the eclipse. What do you call it? Um, what are those called? The rich client platform. Yeah. So it doesn't. You don't have to. You don't have to install an eclipse. But it's got. It's built on all those libraries. So you, the UI paradigm is immediately like recognizable. It is. It is eclipse stuff. Right. Which is not good. Nope. But it's also not horrible. Yes. It, it's it, it's a it's a baseline. Okay. At least it's not going to be horrible. It's just mediocre. But it gets the job done. You know, the windows work and they snap, you know, all the window snapping and maximizing and minimizing all the widgets and everything. Those are all provided by the platforms. So you're not, you're not, you're not dealing with a, a, a database guy who decided to try to write a program. You're not Ryan Hill's, right. his skills to get all that stuff right. <laughs> right. But it actually works pretty well. I mean, I'm able to like mass load in all these from all this data from CSV and it can connect to any data source and I, you know, moving it into Postgres and it saves your queries and it analyzes stuff. It auto completes kind of okay. Just works. I mean, it gets the job done, and it's free, and it's and it's regularly. I mean, he's like new builds like every few days and stuff. It's actively developed, hmm. but I also ran across the fact that IntelliJ has a relatively new database module that ain't bad either. I was actually surprised. Really, um, the only problem I had with it is that its CSV importing was slow, and they've got they've got open issues. They got an open thing in their tracker t- hmm. t- to improve that. Um, it's pretty damn good. I was like, wow, this is kind of nice. I mean, it looks just like IntelliJ. It works just like everything else in IntelliJ. So it's, it's, if you're used to IntelliJ, it's, it's very familiar to you. I'm and getting used to it. Yeah. I mean, it has a learning curve for sure. It's better looking than, than Eclipse for sure. Yeah. Oh, yeah. But yeah, I would look at, look at IntelliJ's, um, I think they call it DBE or whatever it's called. But you'll have a, you have a little thing docked to the right side called, well, this is your right side, called database. And that's what it is. Okay. So you just expand that. You add a data source and you're, you know, you're off to the races. They've glanced at it. Yeah. Well, this might be a record. I don't know. Record Two hours record. and 15 minutes so far? Oh, wow. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right, my last thing. Oh, wow. <laughs> my last thing. 
this is a I feel like this is like an escalation here. I'm going to have one more thing no, this after is, this. This is a shout out and this is a this is a rant because I want to know why Sean Holmes didn't call me directly and let me know he was changing jobs. Yeah. <laughs> Sean Holmes, friend of the show, he's uh, he's he's moved on to um, TaskFeed. So he's now, I guess as of this week. Working what are they called? TaskFeed. Task okay. Yeah. So everyone look up TaskFeed. Find out how you can hire them and give them money. <laughs> well, they, they have they have that uh, customer project management or project management tool, I think. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, cool. So, I'll have to check that out. So congrats, um, Sean. Good luck. Yeah, congratulations. Next Dave. time, call me. Yeah, what? Well, don't I be such a stranger. Like, I had to find out hey, through Facebook or something. Exactly. I mean, what are we, chop liver here? I, I mean, come on, man. Pop in the slack every, every now and then. What you, <laughs> he's, I guess he's moved on to bigger and better things. I know. Jeez. Yeah. Um, one final thing. And oh, I, I noticed we have like, you know, on a typical episode, we'll have hundreds of people download from Overcast. Mm-hmm. Is that what it is? Yeah, Overcast. And Overcast has this thing in it when you can go on any episode and there's a little heart for recommend. Now, I have no idea what this does. But I want all of you Overcast users, I'm, I'm asking you to please click that. Tap that. So we can see what it does. I just want to see what it does. <laughs> if everyone who uses Overcast taps that, then I don't know. I mean, it's got to go back. I mean, if surely he's using that data for something. It's going into something. Mm-hmm. Because it doesn't get, Overcast can recommend, right? Yeah. Or it can well, it's got a search feature and it's got its recommendation. It's got a rank list. and it's going to yeah. rank. So that's got to help us. So yeah, all you Overcast users, recommend us and just click the recommend button. And to that, I say, good day, sir. You get nothing. You lose. Good day, sir. Nice. Please clap.